ABC. Happy days. Remember those carefree years when you were young and you had everything to look forward to? Well, our family certainly does. All we had was some beer and teeny weeny glasses. How many teeny weeny glasses did you have? 72. It all happens here on the happy days. Look who came to the annual Sweat Hog School Dance. Sit on it. Have no fear. The Fonz is here. Do you always park your motorcycle indoors, Fonzie? <laughs> cool it. The Fonz parks where the Fonz parks. Eisner and Tom Miller wanted was uh, a gang, because there was a gang in American Graffiti. They wanted this mean gang. And I didn't have room for a gang, so I kind of said, I'll give you one guy who's a gang himself. I came up with a sound, E, which uh, was to reduce language. I would say how I felt through sound. I wouldn't have to talk so much, I could stay cooler. E. <laughs> Do? Will you do this for me? Do it like the Fonz would do it. How would the Fonz sing this song? Try it. Everybody knows me. Dig it. Song. Song blue. Hey, Potsy. My mom didn't like you climbing through there. Then it's good she didn't see me. <laughs> your television get here? Tonight. I gotta study now. Yeah, me too. There's a Spanish test tomorrow. I know. I don't know why I ever took Spanish. Lame brain. It takes Spanish to pick up Spanish girls. French is for French girls and Latin. Latin's stupid. What are you gonna pick up with Latin? A nun? <laughs> You're a jaboni. You take Latin to become a doctor. Arthur Visseltier says that Mrs. Bernardo's built better than Mrs. Nofziger. I never thought about it. You're full of bull. That's all everybody thinks about in social studies. Nobody knows where Uruguay is, but everybody knows Mrs. Nofziger wears a D cup. That's what you think about is sex. Yeah, so do you. I know. Do you think maybe there's something wrong with us? Yeah. Kids. Yeah, kids. You try to save them a little hurt, you give them the benefit of your experience? Well, they won't listen. No, they gotta go out and find things out for themselves. Never changes. Children just do not listen to their parents today. I remember the first time I didn't listen to you. Oh. Yeah. Well, wasn't that the time when the girl with the big uh, uh, Angora sweater? <laughs> you better believe it. I didn't think you'd listen to me on that one. You are the most beautiful woman I have ever seen in my life. <laughs> Excuse me. You are the most beautiful woman I have ever seen in my life. <laughs> you are the most...
most beautiful. Oh, Chuck, you're looking good. Hey, look, you guys better get out of here. My boss will be coming out any minute. Oh, sure, throw us out. You've made it to the top, so now you turn your back on your friends. I'm not turning my back. Pots, you understand, don't oh, you? Oh, sure, Chuck, but it does look like a great job. Oh, it is, it is. Too bad I have to quit. Quit? You're gonna quit? Hey, can you believe it? Fonzie's making me. Why? Just because these girls pose nude. What about your self-respect? What about your pride in yourself as a man? Will you stop talking nonsense? This is important. All right. Welcome to the Cultural Futures Exchange, episode 14, Happy Days. As you heard in our opening clip, we are going to be looking at the uh, classic TV show, Happy Days, from the uh, 70s and into the 80s. I am Jeff. That is Slip. Hey. Hey! hey. <laughs> um, All right. If you're new to the CFX concept here, as we call the show uh, for short, this is the place where we examine different elements of cultural ephemera, music, movies, TV in this case, etc. Dive into the context and the time they came out. What's happened since? Our take on the future valuation of the item in terms of if you should go long, the value will go up. If you should go short, the value will decrease or stay neutral in a kind of fake stock market kind of way. And if it seems like a strange idea, it is, but you know, it's not a big deal. You'll figure it out. So welcome to episode 14. Happy days. Slip, what are your initial thoughts here? Yeah. So uh, again, uh, a major show, a big part of our childhood, something I haven't thought about for decades, really. Uh, And revisiting it has been interesting. Um, for one thing, what's interesting to me, and I'm going to talk more about this in my evaluation, is it's actually kind of hard to watch this show now. Um, you know, like with what's happening in the other show, Three's Company, the other shows we've done, they're all on these streaming ser- multiple streaming services. You know, you can watch them. You can watch them on demand. Happy Days is only on one, really, or two. Um, it's on Pluto as of the as of this in early 2022 of this as of this recording. It's on Pluto, but it's only on. Uh, the TV mode. So on Pluto, you can watch some shows on demand. You can watch right. uh, others that are live streams, like a television kind of thing. And Happy Days is only on the live stream. And it's a Happy Days channel that includes all the Marshall verse, you know, what I'm calling the Gary Marshall verse. Right. So it's got Mork and Mindy. It's got, you know, we'll talk a lot about spinoffs on this because there are quite a, there, there are some, you know, ones that were massively successful and ones that were not. But there are many spinoffs of the show spinning, spinning off is is this whole concept of creating a show, um, you know, uh, using characters from from another show, and it's a practice that continues to be done. I mean, you even have like, what is it, Young Sheldon? Is that yep. the that's the spinoff of Big Bang Theory, right? Yeah. So, so for people listening to this now, it's a very common uh, thing to do, and usually they're not that successful. But Happy Days has a few that are that actually one of which eclipsed Happy Days at one point, Laverne and Shirley, in popularity. So. Um, but this channel on Pluto, you can watch that. And it's mostly Laverne and Shirley and Mork and Mindy, which is Mork and Mindy was another spinoff of Happy Days. Um, and you don't even, you can't even watch Happy Days. And then Paramount Plus, which I, which I have, has Happy Days, but it's only season two. And it's only like maybe 80% of the season. It skips a bunch of episodes. So there must be some legality and legal thing there that's preventing this. So, you know, as to whether it's going to be the future valuation of the show probably depends somewhat on whether people can easily watch the show. 
And it doesn't seem like that's the case with Happy Days, which is really interesting. So it was a little challenging to do do as much research. I mean, I still was able to do a ton of research on this and, you know, get into the history and stuff and get some notes and thoughts. But it was a little challenging to be able to watch the episodes that I really wanted to watch. Um, so that's something to be said. So that was something going into this that I did not expect. I thought this would be everywhere, yeah. you know, because it was so popular. Um, but it's not. So it's kind that of could interesting. change, though. You know, I yeah, mean, the rights could true. the rights could you know uh, shift hands or expire, and it could appear on right. like a, a Netflix or one of the other streaming series very easily and have a renaissance again just because of ubiquitousness, right? Right, right. Yeah. So yeah, so it is, it is interesting that some of these shows are harder, easier to find. I mean, like with with the What's Happening episode. I mean, I happen to find, you know, find them, you know, on, on Netflix, uh, not on Netflix, sorry, on YouTube and places like that. Um, sometimes it's easier to find than others. On Happy Days, I found whole episodes on YouTube, but they're sometimes hard to find and they disappear and reappear and, you know, right. you know, all that kind of thing, too. So I totally understand what you're saying about it being difficult to locate to even watch, right? Yeah, I found one thing I found was I didn't find much on YouTube. There were just clips, right? Yeah. So there, I found a lot of clips. I didn't find the episodes. You know, some some people hack the episodes on YouTube where they put a little figure in the corner doing sign language or something, or put a a kind of colorful background to fool the AI and detection, copyright detection. But I did find Daily Motion uh, has them, but they're all backwards. So the so the camera angle is backwards. The text, like when the credits come up, they're all mirror oh, image. It's so weird. So I yeah. just, I started watching it. I just couldn't watch it. It was so it just hurt my brain to yeah. watch. Disorienting. So, yeah. yeah, but that's another way they kind of hack the AIs is to try to fuck with the image or whatever. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was interesting. <clears throat> yeah. So why don't we dive? This is going to be maybe a long show, and 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 if, I think we'll wind up being a very funny show. So why don't we start? going into um, personal history. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your personal history with the show? Right. So so my personal history begins right when it starts, as far as I can remember. I mean, I was five years old when the show started, but I, I don't remember ever not watching this show at the time. Uh, this was a show my whole family loved. And again, uh, this is something that just keeps coming up on our, our shows, on various episodes. The Beach Boys episode, uh, the, you know... Uh, other episodes uh, where we talk about this 50s and early 60s nostalgia that was a huge thing in the early 70s, right? So we talked about that with Endless Summer. Um, we're going to talk about that again. It's going to come up again and again and again because this was such a huge thing that happened in the early 70s. And that's, you know, when we talk about the zeitgeist, that's kind of the main zeitgeist here. Um, and Happy Days was not only uh, generated as a result of that, it was one of the things that started it. It was actually one of the things that really um, was created this whole nostalgia. Um, my whole family loved this show. You know, my parents were, um, you know, very nostalgic for the 50s that they grew up in. Um, and I remember watching this as a family. Um, and I also remember watching it later on reruns. Um, and everybody was into Fonzie, which we're going to talk about. This character uh, is almost like Spock on Star Trek, where... Yeah. You know, the original star of the show was Ron Howard, just like the original star of the show was William Shatner. However, the side character, like as in Spock with Star Trek, which I'm sure we'll revisit Star Trek, we'll visit Star Trek at some point, you know, another huge show for me. Um, 
you know, Spock eclipsed, uh, you know, got way more, uh, Leonard Nimoy got way more fan mail than Shatner did. He actually ended up becoming the most popular character on the show. This is the same thing that happened with Henry Winkler and Fonzie. You know, he eclipsed all the other characters on the show. And I just remember, uh, you know, loving Fonzie as a kid. And I remember um, this record that came out. We played a little bit of it at the beginning with that terrible. So you have the Fonzarelli slide. We played that at the beginning. That's the one where, you know, you have Arnold from or Horshack from uh, Welcome Back, Cotter, a guy doing it's not. Uh, I forget the actor's name. I think like Ron, Ron Palillo or something. Yeah, like Ron that. Palillo. Thank you. Yes. I knew you would knew it. <laughs> you knew you would know it. And that's a show I'm sure we'll we'll revisit as well. Uh, another huge show of my childhood. So so you have this terrible impersonator doing Ron Palillo. You have this terrible impersonator doing Fonz. They couldn't even get the real actors for this cheap album that came out. And I remember my friend Dale having it. And it it's just the cover is just a picture of it's a portrait of um, a photograph of Henry Winkler, like a full face shot. And it's called Fonzie's Favorites, you know, and it's mostly <laughs> a bunch of old 50s songs. But then they have these novelty tracks with the terrible impersonate, the worst impersonation of Fonzie ever, the worst impersonation of Horshack. And you can see the overlap with the shows. In fact, in the 70s, that was before Laverne and Shirley came out or around that time. Welcome Back, Cotter was on the same night. I think it was Tuesday nights. Um, and it was the big lineup for ABC. We'll talk more about ABC just like we did with Three's Company, ABC just absolutely dominated television during the 70s, the late 70s especially. Um, so I remember watching all of these shows. Um, the marketing as you're talking, I mean, just the records you're talking about, but there were like lunchboxes, there was like T-shirts, like all of the merchandising around Happy Days was huge at that time. I remember that being a big part of things too, right? Absolutely. I mean, Miko had this whole setup. They had Fonzie's complete garage. They had a, you know, an old hot rod that you could kind of lift up like with a fake kind of jack and stuff where you could put the doll underneath. They had a Fonzie doll that had the thumb sticking up. They had, you know, Potsy, Ralph Mouth. None of the dolls look even remotely like they're just terrible design. Um, but they had the, they had a Pinky Doll as well, Pinky Duck Tuscadero, which we're going to be talking about that character a lot, that guest character on the show, um, and and the merchandising rivaled Star Wars almost, uh, you know, maybe before Star Wars, and not to that extent, you know, I don't think you had a, you know, um, a, you know, the waitresses dolls of of Arnold's and things like that, you know, where Star Wars had every single character and even probably made up characters like you had mentioned on that uh, Force Awakens episode you know, just to make more toys. But there was quite a bit of merchandising in Happy Days, and it was huge, right? And then, you know, that whole, you also had Grease around that time. I thought I should mention that because that was also a big thing for me, the movie Grease, which we might revisit, uh, you know, that started out as a play and was kind of tied into the Happy Days thing. And then I just remember the whole 50s nostalgia kind of carrying on, right? So in the 70s, the 50s nostalgia manifested itself in Happy Days, American Graffiti, Sean and Ah. We're going to talk more about this in the zeitgeist. Um, but in the 80s, you also had this nostalgia that just didn't stop, right? The Stray Cats, the Blasters, the, the, that was the 80s, 50s nostalgia. And then you had movies like Diner and The Big Chill that kind of just went, it was like the baby boomer generation just cast the shadow over Generation X at the time. And so I just thought I would mention those because I thought of that. Um, and then I remember uh, when I was in Japan in the early 90s, I remember you used to send me videotapes. And one of them was this Happy Days reunion that took place in the early 90s. And I remember watching that and how, how you know, bad it was. Um, and then, of course, the other thing that happened in the early 90s with Happy Days was Weezer. Right. They had a song called Buddy Holly, and they actually filmed it in a duplicate of the set of Arnold's. 
Um, and actually, Al, um, Al Molinaro, the actor who played Al Del Vecchio. See, there's another big fat actor that we talked about in What's Happening, the fat actors who keep their names, right? So I guess Al was just an Al. So yeah. Al, <laughs> Al the actor became Al the character. It's another phenomenon. Why, you know, as we mentioned with Shirley Hempel and et cetera. Um, so, so I remember he's in the Weezer video. He announces them and they're all dressed like, uh, you know, Richie Cunningham and stuff. Um, and then another big thing that reminded me of Happy Days was I was really into the show called The Best Show in, uh, you know, kind of 2010s era. And the early shows, they had a character, they had a fake character who called in, who called himself the Gorch, who uh, said he was the real inspiration for Fonzie. And he was kind of like uh, a super hyper-realistic and dark version of the character. <laughs> um, and he would, he, you know, he would say he grew up with Gary Marshall in York, Pennsylvania, which of course is not true because Gary Marshall grew up in New York. Um, but, um, and there was an inspiration, uh, a guy named Pete who did inspire the real character of Fonzie, uh, that Gary knew. So it was kind of funny that the, this best show had done this kind of, uh, recurring character. And it's really funny. Um, you know, he's kind of an old crusty Fonzie who's super violent and, you know, it's, it's a really funny joke. And then of course, you know, the next time I thought of happy days again was with Henry Winkler, who, uh, and Scott Bale, I should mention, who appeared in Arrested Development, um, as well as Ron Howard as the producer and narrator of that show. Right. And, you know, Henry Winkler showed himself. I mean, he's obviously, uh, as, as a person, he's kind of this gentle, nice guy who writes children's books about dyslexia and stuff. And he's he's the polar opposite of Fonz. He couldn't be less cool. I mean, you you heard him. He's at a Neil Diamond concert for crying out loud. Yeah. Um, both him and John Ritter, you know, that was, I guess, Neil Diamond was, you know, huge. And again, we might do a Neil Diamond episode because I definitely have some uh, Neil Diamond in my history. Um, and, yeah. yeah. And, and uh, uh, you know, we all had parents at that time. So, we, you know, moms. Um, so and, and then, of course, he, he appears in arrest. Henry Winkler appears in Arrested Development. Um, as Barry Zuckercorn, the family's lawyer, and he's freaking amazing he is. in that he's role. He's the best. He's the best one on that show, really. In a lot he's of ways. he's absolutely brilliant, and he's also in Parks and Rec as as the as uh, what the dentist who's the father of I forget the characters, uh, but he's really good in that show as well. Um, you know, and he's a brilliant comic actor, and even Scott Bayo, who we'll probably talk about in not the most flattering of lights because of his transformation into a humorless uh, political uh, shill for Donald Trump. Um, you know, basically at that time, he was Bob Blah Blah in that show. And again, amazing performance. Um, you know, so it's kind of cool that these actors really showed what they could do after this show that I think we'll both kind of say has its moments. But, you know, I think we, we already it's just happy days is not anywhere near the sophistication of something like arrested development right. as far as a comedic show. Anyway, that's kind of all I have. I don't really, you know, this show was kind of just there. It wasn't like I was a huge fan. It was just like, I liked it and I watched it and I remembered it, but it didn't really stick with me. Like some of the other shows of my childhood, like even what's happening. I think we kind of realized watching it again, it actually really held up to us. And then other shows like Bosom Buddies and WKRP were much more important to me. Um, and even Laverne and Shirley, I probably liked more at the time uh, because of, you know, Michael, uh, Michael McKean and, uh, you know, Lenny and Squiggy, I thought were amazing, you know, as a kid. Um, but but again, uh, and Robin Williams, of course, was a huge thing to me as a kid as well. But that's kind of it for me for my personal history. It's not that detailed with this one. 
Yeah, you know, you were mentioning other things that Henry Winkler and Scott Baio were in. I remembered Scott Baio, you know, from Bugsy Malone, obviously, oh, yeah. which I was a, you know, an Alan Parker movie. I was a huge fan of. I actually, uh, I loved am. that as a kid. I loved yeah. that as a kid. That's a great movie. It's so it weird is. too. We should we should revisit that. And then of course, fucking Charles in Charge, dude. Oh, I did uh, watch I, that. I totally watched Charles in Charge, dude. We forget the most important, actually, the most important Scott Baio movie of all time. Zapped. Yeah, we yeah, get dude. Into that. I forgot about that. Yeah, we'll have to do Zapped. Yeah, with uh, Willie Ames, right? Yeah, who was that, also yeah. in Charles in Charge. Maybe that came out of Zapped, but I totally remember Zapped. Yeah, yeah I think they were buzzed, but also. Um, I want to point out Ron Howard and Henry Winkler uh, collaborated on Night Shift, which was a really good movie from uh, the early 80s about uh, Henry Winkler working in a morgue and then becoming a pimp. Yeah. Do yeah. you remember that movie? That's actually a really funny movie. Oh, so, yeah. That's Ron Howard's first yeah, uh, first directorial. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and another connection to a, a band that uh, I talk about frequently because I love their name so much. Quarter Flash actually did... The uh, soundtrack, the main night shift uh, song from uh, that movie. So wow, wow! There you yeah, go. The connections go. keep on coming. I guess they keep on coming. All right. So my personal history with the show, like you, um, it was a ubiquitous part of my childhood, both in primetime and in reruns. I can't remember a time as a kid where this show wasn't on in some form or another, or the merchandising wasn't around. You know, on things, or you weren't. You know, people had Fonzie lunchboxes or Happy Days lunchboxes and thermoses and all the usual stuff of people our age. Um, I think you'd covered it well, but there's a, seems to be just like a 20 year nostalgia life cycle for pretty much every era, right? In the seventies, it was the fifties in the eighties. It was the sixties a little bit like in the late eighties, especially, you know, when, where we went to college, there was definitely kind of like a sixties revival thing happening at times. If nothing else, then, you know, you know, stinky hippie feet and patchouli oil and that kind of crap. Right, right. So, um, which was which was a challenge to us. As a kid, though, this is an interesting connection here. So in the in the area where I grew up in L.A., in the San Fernando Valley, there was a house that was on uh, Chandler Boulevard, if people know where that is, uh, who are listening to this. And there was it was a huge house. The neighborhood where I grew up was mostly kind of smallish, you know, single family houses, the typical suburban thing of, of the valley. But there was this house on the corner of a Chandler Boulevard, and I want to say like maybe Fulton or, or one of those places over there in that part of Van Nuys. And it was um, completely like three, four times the size of all the other uh, houses that were uh, around there. And there was this rumor that the person who lived in it, it was like behind gates and stuff like that. It was just kind of an out of place uh, house for the neighborhood. But there's this rumor that uh, Henry Winkler's mother lived there and he had bought this house for her. That was like always, we never ever saw anybody in there. Um, it was kind of like on a busy corner, but everybody just would spread that rumor that that's where the Fonz's mother lived. And that was, I always thought was a weird thing. I have that's no a really, that that's true. a really tangential kind of maybe, you know, that it almost seems like it might be true because that's such a thing. Like who cares? Yeah, you know, exactly. like Fonz, the Fonzie actor's mother, you know, right. it's not like Henry Winkler himself lived there. Yeah, no, <laughs> it wasn't Henry Winkler lived there. It was like his mother or something like that. So that was weird. Um, it was really hard to avoid this show. I watched, I totally watched Happy Days and I'll get into what I think about it as we get into the evaluations, but I watched all the Gary Marshall shows, as you were mentioning. Um, 
even watch Joni Loves Chachi, which maybe wasn't a smart decision. We can talk about that. But right. I watched Laverne and Shirley. I watched Mork and Mindy. I watched, uh, I don't know if I watched Blansky Babes or some of yeah, the other Bla- ones. Blasky's Beauties. Blasky's yeah, Bla- Beauties. Yeah. Beauties. I, no, yeah, I, I, I never, I never remember watching that, yeah. that show, but I watched a little clip. I'll talk more about that in uh, yeah. you know, the history or my eval, either one. But yeah, I watched a, a few clips and then there's one called Out of the Blue, which I'll talk about, which is a bizarre one. Yeah. Uh, that's a really tangential, but there, yeah. And then of course the other Gary Marshall show, we, we, you know, that isn't in the kind of this Marshall verse of, you know, cause all these shows are spinoffs was Angie. And I don't know if you ever watched Angie. I, I did yeah. a little bit with, um, who is Robert that? Hayes yeah, from yeah, airplane yeah. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Donna Pasco, uh, is her name Donna Pasco? She was in uh, best yeah. known for playing the girl in Saturday Night Fever. That's right. Um, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes. I, I might've seen that. I certainly Robert Hayes. I remember him as part of my childhood because he's an airplane, of course. Another movie we'll definitely get uh, to. Of course. I mean, that's like a seminal movie and everything. So, um, I watched all these shows and I really hated them all. I have to say, I was not a fan of Laverne and Shirley. I did not like Mork and Mindy, but I watched them all. And I'm, I think I'm dumber for it today, having yeah. suffered all that abuse as a childhood. I mean, these were dumb ass shows, you know, just there's, I mean, I did watch like more sophisticated shows like MASH and All in the Family and, you know, right. that, for sure. But I watched these shows where you just have like, and we'll get into this, like the, where Mork visits Fonzie and he like, you know, puts a green cast on him and freezes him and like, it, it was like the dumbest dumb thing, even worse than like Saturday morning cartoons. Anyway. The, the other, we'll get into all of this in a bit. The other thing that I wanted to say, and maybe Happy Days wasn't as egregious as abuser of casting as something like the movie Grease, but um, these were older looking people. They did not look like 15 or 16 year olds. They looked like 30 year olds. And th- that was always confusing to me as a kid and never more so than the movie Grease. I just want to point that out. And we'll, I'm sure, talk about Grease as an episode and in the future. But I mean, like the actress who played Rizzo was like 40. Or, yeah. I mean, it was, it was so weird that they cast these things. Speaking of Greece, there's an episode of Happy Days that Kanicki is in. Oh, where he wow. plays, yeah, um, I don't know if you saw this one, but he plays a greaser, like a, a, a gang greaser. It's one where Richie's trying to act tough. And Fonzie's trying to teach him. Oh, that's tough. right. That's right. And he gets, he, he acts crazy. And yeah, that's he good. Acts- yeah. He like flips the jacket around. I saw that clip many times researching this and I definitely saw it at the time, but we should talk about that because actually happy days isn't that guilty of that. As you might think, like for one thing, Ron Howard was just like 20 years old. So he was, and, and during, we'll talk about the first pilot that was like 1971. He was probably a teenager then, yeah. uh, you know, Ralph mouth and, uh, and Potsy, you know, um, uh, Don Donnie Most and, and Anson Williams were a little older. They were a few years older, you know. So by the time the first season came around, like, you know, uh, Anson Williams was like 26. Uh, you know, Donnie Most was like 25. Uh, Henry Winkler was like pushing 30. But again, Fonzie's supposed to be older, which is right. kind of creepy because he dates high school girls all I the time. I absolutely am going to talk about so, that. Too. Okay. <laughs> so the other thing is, uh, I'll leave that to you to, to go into detail. But but that's creepy. But then, um, you know, Marion Ross and they're about the right age. And then, of course, Erin uh, Moran is Joni. She was 15. So yeah. that's pretty good. I mean, she's supposed to be a little young. She's supposed to be younger than that. Like but 13, that's pretty good. But not much right. younger. Yeah. Then you have like Peaky Duskadero, Roz Kelly, who looks like 35, 30. Yeah. You know, she looks like almost pushing 40 uh, at this time. So she looked really old. So, yeah, it's 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 not as bad as Greece. Greece was really bad. 
Yeah. But um, but yeah, I mean, because even Olivia Newton John and John Travolta were in their mid twenties by the time that came out. So well, it's a, so I mean, to your point about Anson Williams and and Donnie Most, yes, they were when it started. They were in their twenties. They were supposed to be playing sixteen, and and maybe that was okay. But in the later episode uh, seasons of the show, uh, rather. The difference between somebody who's supposed to be like 22 and somebody who's pushing 30 becomes yeah, more yeah. apparent. And they just did not look their age. And no, it, no. It was so common on TV that as a little kid, I was really confused because I had older, I had, um, you know, friends who had older siblings who were 16 and 17 and they looked like kids. And I was like, it just was confusing to me. I, I had trouble kind of putting all that together. You know what I mean? Yeah, we'll talk about that. Because at some point there, I mean, there's so many problems with the later seasons of this show where they're at, at that point, at some point, they just like the show was so popular. They just didn't give a shit. Yeah. You know, they just didn't care about maintaining any semblance of reality uh, or uh, time frame, you know, and continuity, we'll talk about yeah. that. Yeah. Continuity, et cetera. So, yeah. So why don't we talk about the zeitgeist of the show? You get into it a little bit, but why don't you tell us a little yeah, bit more? Yeah, so here. so the zeitgeist is this nostalgia, right? So uh, where does this nostalgia start? You know, uh, obviously there was a bit of a backlash to the kind of excesses of the '60s in music. You had bands like the Beatles doing their whole "Get Back" thing, right, which has become even more kind of popular these days because of the documentary. They're trying to get back to basics. So they did their psychedelic stuff, the excesses of psychedelia. You know, progressive rock. Go, so when rock is going in, in a few directions, you have kind of heavy rock, you have produ- progressive rock, but then you have this kind of nostalgic, basic, back to basics kind of thing. You know, uh, obviously the Beach Boys were one of the first to do this with Smiley, uh, after Smiley Smile and Smile, they kind of did Wild Honey, which was a more of an R&B album and more back to the kind of, you know, they had the single Do It Again. They were kind of going back to their their original mission, right? Singing about cars and girls. And then you had the, the like I said, the Beatles scaling back. Um, and then you had um, the, the one thing that I think really seeded this nostalgia that do, the, 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 the people that don't get enough credit for this is Shanana. Because obviously we know Sean and from their TV show in the late seventies, they, but were, they were around too, much right? early, right? And yeah, in Greece and stuff. And we'll talk about Greece because that was part of this. But the first, they were really the first to do this. Um, they they were a bunch of basically they were Columbia University students that that started the show around New York. That would be this whole thing where people would come dress up, you know, in in the kind of fifties gear and 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 they would put on this whole show doing covers and. Um, Jimi Hendrix saw them, you know, he was in New York and he saw them and he just loved it. And so he suggested to the promoters of Woodstock that Shanana appear. And when they appear, they just killed. Like they were one, like people went apeshit for this. You know, it's crazy because you have these bands like Santana playing these extended jams. And then you have these bands doing at the, and then you have Shanana doing at the hop. And people went crazy for them. They just absolutely loved it. And, and then around this time again, um, you know, you had your first oldies format radio station because, we, you know, we think about these stations that played oldies when we were a kid. I always kind of thought, well, they were always around, right? Well, no, this started actually with a station in Phoenix called Cool FM. And then, of course, we talked in a previous episode about K-Earth 101 uh, that was in L.A. So these oldies stations started kind of booming. And then one of the other first things that, you know, I had always thought this was backwards because American graffiti was the thing that uh, was the phenomenon that really kind of accelerated this. And it was such a massive blockbuster. But the first thing was actually Happy Days Uh, because Gary Marshall had been, um, you know, we'll talk more about this in the history, but he had been 
asked to do a TV show that was a, a remake of this 30s show called I Remember Mama. And he was like, I don't know anything about the 30s. He's all, I grew up in the 50s. I want to do a 50s show. So he created this pilot that was called, uh, it was originally called New Family in Town. And he had he had put out this pilot and he'd gotten, uh, you know, Ron Howard, who had been known for being the little kid on the Andy Griffith show. Opie Cunningham. Um, and, <laughs> right. As Richie Cunningham. And he also had Anson Williams in the pilot and Marion Ross. Now, there was a different Harold Gould played uh, Howard Cunningham at the time, you know, but it was basically the plot was uh, that the family is the first family on the street to get a television and there's a big boxing match. So there's all these things and Richie's trying to get girls and stuff. And they have this soda shop that looks totally like a 1970s ice cream parlor. doesn't look anything like Arnold's. Um, there was a but clip Rich from that at the beginning we heard too. Right, right. That was a clip with, uh, you know, Potsy coming through the window. But it's basically very similar to what Happy Days would become. Um, and it was eventually retitled Love in the Happy Days. And as Gary Marshall says, it was the pilot failed. They didn't, it wasn't picked up, but it kind of went to the place where Gary, as Gary Marshall said, all pilots go to die, which was this anthology TV show in the early seventies called Love American Style. So that Love American Style is just made up of rejected pilots. It's just the way the TV, you know, the TV stations could, you could get their money back basically, or the, or the network. So it was on Love American Style, and the per one of the people who happened to watch that was George Lucas, who was putting together American Graffiti, and he saw Ron Howard, and he cast Ron Howard as one of the main characters in American Graffiti, uh, a movie that uh, surely Cindy Williams is also in. So an American Graffiti was absolutely massive, and it was so huge, in fact, that the networks came back to, to Gary Marshall and said, you remember that pilot you did? Well, we want to do it now. So then they did Happy Days in 1974. Um, and around this time, there were other things like Greece was on Broadway in 1992. And of course, one of the actors who would become huge in the 70s, who, who also would audition to play Fonzarelli, uh, was uh, John Travolta. So hey. he was in Greece and in Broadway before he was in the movie eight year, six years later. Um, and then another movie that Henry Winkler was in that came out around the same time as Happy Days was Lords of Flatbush, which was... Uh, known for starring Sylvester Stallone, which is another 50s film. So again, that was the zeitgeist. All this 50s stuff was kind of what uh, Happy Days grew up in. And then, of course, it was also the early 70s uh, sitcoms. And uh, contrary to most of the trend in the early 70s, Happy Days was a much simpler kind of uh, nostalgic look and a simple, you know, not really political show for the most part. There are a couple of exceptions. Yeah. Um and episodes that we'll talk about probably in our evals uh, where it does get a little more political. But, you know, you're talking about show groundbreaking shows like MASH, uh, Bob Newhart show, All in the Family. You know, these shows were were groundbreaking, kind of more, um, you know, experimental, yeah. sophisticated. Yeah. Uh, you know, Good Times is another one which Happy Days actually uh, competed with. Good Times was the most popular TV show of like 1974, 75. And Happy Days was almost canceled because it was in the same time slot. It competed against Good Times. So those shows were just diametrically opposed to Happy Days. So that's the other. It's kind of a reaction to that. And I'm going to talk more about that in my eval. Um you know, how it was a react, Happy Days was kind of a, and a lot of this nostalgia was a reaction to the, just the kind of chaos of the early 70s and the political turmoil. Uh, so that's kind of, uh, I think, the zeitgeist. So let's go into the, actually, the history. So obviously the show is is Gary Marshall's baby, right? And Gary right. Marshall is a guy who pretty much, you know, he grew up in the Bronx. 
Uh, he, he, he was part of a very quirky family life. His mother was like this wannabe star who, who was a tap dance instructor who kind of made the kids put on these shows and perform. <laughs> wow. And Gary Marshall, uh, was a drummer, you know, he, he had played drums and he would play drums with the tap dancing. And of course, uh, he, his sister, Penny, uh, you know, he had two sisters, Penny and Ronnie, who would both be, uh, become involved in show business. Ronnie would become a producer and, you know, would work on Happy Days and, and The Odd Couple, which is another show we'll talk about, which was Gary Marshall's first show as a, as a show leader. Um, and, uh, you know, Penny Marshall, obviously, who became Laverne and became a director in her own right, uh, was, you know, obviously a sister and, and uh, would be, play a big role in this story. Um, Gary Marshall, then, you know, he grew up in, in, in the Bronx and, you know, he was kind of a, a street kid, you know, he'd play stickball, that whole cliche kind of thing. Uh, maybe he and, bought a gun from Peter Chris. We never know. <laughs> yeah. 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 He was really edgy back there in the Bronx, you know? Um, and he, uh, you know, this guy is like Mr. TV. He, he was involved in so many pivotal, pivotal TV shows. So after Northwestern, he was in the Korean war. Um, you know, he served in Korea. Um, uh, mostly kind of right, you know, doing desk jobs and things. I don't think he did too much fighting. Um, but when he came out, he wasn't sure what he was going to do. So he started trying to get into TV writing and he wrote for, you know, very important shows. He wrote for Jack Parr's Tonight Show, which was a groundbreaking talk show, you know, eventually become one of the most popular shows of all time when Johnny Carson uh, headed it. But it was also really popular in the Jack Parr era. He wrote for Joey Bishop for not only his jokes for the Jack Parr show, but also for the Joey Bishop TV show. Not a big hit. But then he moved on to work with Lucille Ball. Um, you know, Lucille Ball is known for obviously I Love Lucy, which is the most popular TV show in history. If you look at the numbers, and nothing really comes close. But the Lucy show was close. Uh, that was a show that her and Vivian Vance did in the early 60s that ran for many years. Um, and he was a principal writer on that show. And he also wrote for The Dick Van Dyke Show, which was actually a more groundbreaking uh, comedy show. Um, and then he got his chance to, you know, he started a show called Hey Landlord that didn't do anything. He, you know, he tried to write for Broadway that didn't really do anything. But then he, he, he had a really successful show in his adaptation of Neil Simon's Odd Couple. It's funny. I listened to his his audiobook in preparation for this or part yeah. of it. It's called My Happy Days in Hollywood, hoping to get so much information about Happy Days. He talks a bit about the odd couple and about Happy Days, but then he's just he just goes on to talk in detail about these terrible, terrible movies he would direct uh, after Happy Days. And, it, and the <laughs> fucking book's called Happy Days. The whole reason he got to be a director was because of the massive success of Happy Days and its spinoffs. And you would think he would talk more about happy days, but it's just a funny, the, the, the one cool thing about the book is he reads it in his accent. So he's just like, Tony Randall hated children. You know, <laughs> I bring my children to the set and they had to hide because Tony Randall couldn't stand children. You know, and it's like, um, it, it's like, you know, uh, pretty entertaining to listen to, but it was kind of a bummer because I didn't get as much uh, dirt on happy days as I wanted. You know, the show that ran for so long. Um, so at any rate, while he was doing the odd couple, he was a showrunner in the odd couple. He, you know, he produced the happy days pilot. Um, again, I, I mentioned there was this kind of influence on all these other things on Greece and, and American graffiti. Um, you know, and he, he, you know, Ron Howard was the star of the show, you know, in the opening credits of the first season, uh, you know, uh, uh, Henry Winkler isn't even there. Uh, at, at this time, he was just a side character, but he, you know, he, he, we need to talk about Fonzie separately because he's such an important, he's the most important part 
uh, of the success of the show, right? As I mentioned earlier. So Fonzie was a very important character to get right. And they auditioned several actors. So one of the ones who was really uh, uh, the lead uh, guy, the front runner, was Mickey Dolenz. (laughs) So Mickey Dolenz of the monkeys, right? Monkeys fame. So he auditioned. And it seems kind of far-fetched that, you know, his goofy character as Mickey Dolan's of the Monkees would translate into this kind of street punk. Uh, but he had played, uh, previously played a, a kind of similar character, like a biker character on an episode of Adam 12. Uh, and so he had a history of this and he was supposedly really good. But the Adam problem 12. was, yeah, yeah Adam 12, funny. dude. The problem was he was too tall. All the character, all the actors in this show are really short. Like Ron Howard, you know, uh, you know, uh, Anson Williams. They're all like in the mid five feet range, you know. So um, he was six foot tall, and that might have been why John Travolta was also refused. Although John Travolta was also quite young, you know, he would have been even, uh, you know, he was barely twenty at this time. So, so yeah, he was very, he was really young. So neither one of them got it. But Henry Winkler came in, and this was this guy who was this serious actor who had studied at Yale. You know, and he was so different than what they were looking for. He was five foot six, you know, a Jewish guy. You know, he was not what they were, you know, he actually the original uh, character was supposed to be a blonde. So it was kind of funny that none of the characters they auditioned were actually blonde. But he just killed, you know, he just he was just so good. And um, so he got the part. Um, And Happy Days started in 74. It was initially pretty successful in its first year, modestly so. Um, and it's funny because the first year Fonzie was more of a side character would come up and, you know, originally Gary Marshall had wanted him to wear a leather jacket because that was kind of what the character, you know, part of the character that would, you know, what it would become, but he wore this windbreaker early on. And the reason was the network was just not, they worried about him being too much of a hoodlum. They were too conservative. So the way that they, but they they snuck the leather jacket in. The way they did it, if you watch any of the episodes of the first two seasons, Fonzie has his motorcycle all the time. So they they reason this was motorcycle protective gear. Right. So they would always put him with. The, and there's even one episode where he's just, uh, you know, Richie comes up to him in the parking lot and he's just laying on his motorcycle with the girl next to him, and it's just so his motorcycle could be there. He wheels his motorcycle into Arnold's all the time. You know, it's like he just brings it inside. And the reason is, is because they reasoned he could, he could, um, you know, uh, have his leather jacket. And it's funny because he eventually by the second season, he doesn't have the windbreaker anymore. They just kind of said, screw it. And that windbreaker was thrown away. They just threw it away. This iconic thing that he wore the first two seasons, whereas the leather jacket is actually in the Smithsonian. (laughs) So you could see how important that was. Um, another thing about the first two seasons is of course, uh, there is an older brother, right? Chuck Cunningham. He's actually played by two different actors. Uh, Gavin O'Hurley, he was the main actor. And I forget the other actor's name. Sorry, I should have written it, written it down. Um, but basically, uh, Chuck Cunningham was this older brother who was in college. He was a basketball player. So he would be seen dribb- dribbling a basketball. And they really didn't know what to do with him. He would kind of come and go. And eventually, they just dropped him. And... Uh, of the first meme, this is the first of two memes we're going to talk about during the show that that Happy Days created, and this is called Chuck Cunningham syndrome, and that's when they uh, introduce a character and then just drop it off without explaining anything. So Chuck is never mentioned again. Uh, there's no story about why he's not on the show. He's just gone. Um, well, and then later episodes when like Howard and and uh, um, you know the um, 
Mrs. C. What's her yeah. first name again? I forget. Marion. Marion. Thank you. Oh, Marion Ross. I was going to yeah, say Marion Ross. So she's yeah, another one, right? Another one. I was going to Mar- I was thinking Marion. I'm going, that can't be right. Cause that's Marion Ross is a real one. So Marion, when they talk so about. So she's not a fat actress though, but she does keep her name. I guess she's, they just said she's a fucking Marion. No, I need to go. I need to go back to something. Cause you mentioned Marion Ross. Marion Ross is the ultimate TV mother in a lot of ways. And what's weird is there's this connection to me with my own mother and grandmother, because I think Marion Ross kind of acts like my, one of my mother's mother acted, you know, she's very much mothering and she's always wanted to fix somebody a snack. And, you know, I just connected to that. My grandmother, not so much my mom. My mom is more like fucking Lucille Ball because she's crazy. But it's funny because these mothers were redheads and my mom was a redhead. So I just naturally connected those things when I was really young. You know, watching yeah. this. So I should have mentioned that during my history. Anyway, go on. So you were mentioning about Mary. I was just saying out. they talk about their kids in later episodes and they, they don't even mention they have yeah, kids. our two kids, our two kids. They don't so mention the, the third kid. It's not even the kid went away to college or, you know, maybe died at some point or, you know, anything like that. It's just like just pretend it never happened. So that was actually super weird. Right. Yeah, it was really weird. So the other thing they did that was interesting in these early shows is they played a lot of music, actual music uh, from the 50s. Um, And of course, I think now I think royalties have become more of a thing, you know, like one of my favorite shows of all time that that we might revisit is a show called Freaks and Geeks from the, you know, the late 90s. It was only on for one year. And uh, they have a ton of music in that show. They have this one episode that's all about them going to see The Who, and they're playing all these Who songs. And they had another episode that was about them going, you know, about one of the characters getting really into The Grateful Dead. And it was really hard for them to release those on DVD because the song royalties are so expensive, right? And in in these early days of television, they didn't think that much about it, but there were still royalties they had to pay. And in order to dodge those royalties, which I don't think would fly in, in with today's laws. Uh, they basically got Anson Williams, who was a singer, to sing a lot of the songs. So a lot of the songs you're hearing on the jukebox in the first two seasons and even later are not the actual versions of those songs. They're Anson Williams singing those songs. And that was a way to kind of hack the royalty uh, rules. <laughs> That's uh, it was kind of funny. So and then the, of the uh, when the show started out, I should mention it was a one camera sitcom. So there's a difference. There's kind of basically two um, kinds of sitcoms. Uh, there's a format, the formats. One is a one camera show, which interestingly is a more art, almost a more artsy show. It's less of a um, uh, a kind of, you know, the shows that tended to be one camera shows tended to be more experimental, like MASH was a one camera show. You know, a lot of stuff is done on real sets. It's not done on, in the studio, right? And uh, Arrested Development's another one, right? The Office is another one to get that documentary feel, right? But then you have like the three camera shows and the three camera shows are generally, at least at this time, were done in front of a live studio audience. And they're still used today. Like The Big Bang Theory is a classic three camera show. I Love Lucy was the first kind of show to do this three camera. So that's three cameras. They're switching in between the cameras and it's done on a studio in front of a studio audience. So initially, um, and Mork and Mindy, incidentally, is one of the few shows to do four cameras. And the reason they did four cameras is because Robin Williams would just improvise like tons of dialogue. He would just, he would just run around. And so they had a single camera that was devoted to him uh, just because of his improvisational uh, skills. And they, they, you you know, uh, tons of Mork and Mindy was just improvised on the spot by him. Uh, So they kind of had to have that leeway for him to do that. So uh, Happy Days was initially uh, one camera show in the first two seasons. I'm going to talk a lot about the difference between the first two seasons and the rest of the show in my evaluation. 
Um, and yeah, like I said, it was modestly popular in the first season, but then in the second season, its popularity was kind of uh, challenged by the popularity of a new sitcom and a new sitcom star, Jimmy Walker, in Good Times. So Good Times was massively popular and it, it competed against Happy Days in the ratings. So uh, Happy Days really suffered its second season and they were going to cancel the show. But what they decided to do was two things. One is they decided to focus more on Henry Winkler. So he was moved to the front credits um, and uh, and it was they were noticing that he was more popular. And the third season is where his popularity really shined. But then they also switched to a three camera format in front of a live studio audience. And I think that invigorated the show and made it a kind of different kind of show. Um, I think negatively, most for the most part. And I'll talk about that. But but that's what happened. And so and then, of course, uh, Henry Winkler's popularity uh, skyrocketed mainly from this uh, two-parter episode uh, where he jumps uh, 16 garbage cans and then gets injured. And that's when he really kind of swung into popularity. And then even more so in the fourth season uh, with the three-part um, opening uh, episode, uh, Fonzie Loves Pinky with the character of Pinky Tuscadero. This was a phenomenon, these shows. This romance between um, Henry Winkler and Ross you know, between Fonzie and Picky Descadero was absolutely a phenomenon. And it became, the show became like the most popular show on TV at this point. Even though it was just for three episodes, right? It was it three episodes, but that, that, those episodes were, everybody talked about them. It was like the show that everybody watched. I gotcha. Okay. You know, people really knew it because by the end of the third season, the show had just gotten massively popular. Uh, it started to pick up in the ratings. And then by the fourth season in 76, it was absolutely a phenomenon. Um, and, uh, of course this is when all the merchandising happened and, and what they, they actually considered, uh, I think this is around the time they actually considered renaming the shows show to Fonzie's happy days. But of course, Ron Howard was still the first credit. He was still the star and, and Henry Winkler was against it. He said, don't do this. You know, this isn't fair to Ron Howard. It's not fair. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just, it's not a good idea. So they didn't right. do that. Um, and then, of course, during that same uh, fourth season, there's an iconic episode called Fonzie's Date Night. And this introduces the characters of Laverne and Shirley, uh, you know, obviously Laverne being played by Penny Marshall and Shirley being played by uh, Cindy Williams, who was in American Graffiti. And this show um, create, you know, was so popular that they created a spinoff for the next season called Laverne and Shirley. And uh, that show was massive out of the gate and it eclipsed happy days as the most popular sitcom in tv um so it's probably the one and only time a spinoff absolutely eclipsed it's it's the show it was created from um and then of course um you know uh, the fifth season of happy days is the infamous uh three-part episode called hollywood uh and that is the show where some hollywood agents for some reason visit milwaukee we should we should mention that the show takes place in milwaukee wisconsin um they visit milwaukee and they see fonzie as a mechanic and they decide to put him in the movie <laughs> and, and not only that but everybody gets to go to hollywood you know <laughs> so 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 the cunninghams go <laughs> oh, and then Jesus. you know ev absolutely everybody on the show gets to go to hollywood um and this is the infamous part three is the infamous jump the shark episode so there was the chuck cunningham syndrome meme and the most popular meme to talk about tv shows ever is uh is jump the shark right this is the point at which happy days became ridiculous um, I'm going to argue it actually was already ridiculous, 
but um but this is the but but i do think this 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 you know at first i was when i pitched this episode to you i was like let's just talk about the jump the shark phenomenon and talk about how i don't agree that happy days actually jumped the shark when he jumped the shark uh and i don't think it jumped the shark for people because the show at the time because and jumping the shark i should say means when a show becomes terrible Right. It's good. And then it becomes bad. The zenith of the show, um, as it but, were. Yes. Everything right, else is right, downhill. Where it's so popular that they do something ridiculous. You know, they're, they're, yes. it's at the point at which the show runs out of ideas and they start to think of ridiculous ideas. And I think for the most part, looking back on this and studying this again for the show, I, my original hi- thesis was that, no, that's not when it jumped the shark and blah, blah, blah. But it did. This is when the show becomes really insane. I think there's a few episodes I'm going to talk about where it was already kind of doing these small jumps where it gets really bad, um, bad ideas, where they seem to run out of ideas and come up with stupid ideas. But you can really demarcate this. At this season is when they start to go crazy. And I'm going to go into a whole bunch of plot, uh, ridiculous plot uh, things that happen or or, uh, kind of uh, episode summaries that I just think are insane that the show did that make no sense. Um, But but again, this is when they jump the shark. So it's a, oops, it's a massively... uh, you know, it was a big episode and it was a ridiculous episode. Um, incidentally, with that episode, kind of fun fact, uh, Henry Winkler actually was a really good water skier. And this, there are scenes of him water skiing uh, that are actually him. But this jump was actually done by a stuntman. Uh, so he didn't do the jump, right? Uh, around this time, fifth season is when we get the appearance of Robin Williams as Mork. He visits... Uh, you know, Richie Cunningham from Fork. <laughs> uh, and and it's a ridiculous uh, show, but it, it does become, they but they decided that Robin Williams was so talented uh, that they, you know, they, he was just a street actor. He was like a mime. You know, he was doing nothing. And I think he was a stand-up, you know, at this point already, but he, he had not been known, but they just saw what he could do as more. He improvised a bunch of stuff and they kept it. They and it was to- such... I, I just want to say that Cunningham seemed to be pretty nonplussed by having an alien from another world come and yeah. visit their Yeah, I mean, they do. They're, they're, they're kind of <laughs> plussed, I guess. But it's like, yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. And, and it kind of goes, this is after Jump the Shark, and it goes, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know. So this is the second spinoff, Mork and Mindy. And at this point, Gary Marshall just dominated TV. Um, it was during this same year when Mork and Mindy debuted that ABC had the top five shows on the air. And four out of five of them were produced by Gary Marshall. And those were Happy Days, Laverne and Shirley, Mork and Mindy, and a show called Angie that was not related. And it was not in this Marshall verse. I call it the Marshall verse because they're all linked. They're all spinoffs of each other, but not Angie. But Angie was massively popular its first season. Um, and the only other show, of course, uh, what you, you care to guess what the other? Love uh, Boat. No, it was a show that we've revisited before, which is Three's Company. Okay. So, uh, but Aaron Spelling also was hugely popular at this time. So we had Charlie's Angels Love Boat and Fantasy Island. So ABC was absolutely dominant. Um, It's kind of like NBC in the early 90s when they had Seinfeld, right? Uh, So it's, it's, um, or CBS, I think, when they had all the, uh, you know, NCIS and uh, CSIs, right? They were dominant. I think CBS mostly has dominated more than the other networks, but in 70s, ABC was just king, you know, in the late 70s. Um, and they even, you know, this is when they started spinning off like crazy. So they had uh, Blasky's Beauties, which was a spinoff based on a, a guest part by um, actress Nancy Walker. 
Um, and it's crazy because this is where we get into the timeline weirdness because Blasky's Beauties takes place in the present day. So it takes place in the late 70s. And, uh, you know, Nancy, how old would Nancy Walker be? She was already old when she appears in the 50s. And then it's like 20 years later. Right. And this yeah. is a show about a woman who runs like this. You know, there's these dancers, uh, you know, Vegas or whatever. And it didn't last very long. But it's funny because um, it actually had many of the actors, including this is another uh, time warp anomaly. Pat Morita, who played Arnold in Happy Days, right in the in the third season of Happy Days. Um, he is Arnold in this show. He plays his same character, but 20 it's 20 years later, years later and he's That's already weird. a pretty old guy, right? So it's like crazy. And then you also had Linda Goodfriend, who would later play Lori Beth in Happy Days. She's on the show. You had Eddie Mecca, who would play the big ragu on um, Laverne and Shirley. He's on the show, although he doesn't play his character. And you even have Scott Bayo on the show. So it's just a weird thing where they used all these same actors. Um and then uh, that show didn't last very long, but then there was another show called Out of the Blue. Uh, and we're going to talk about this episode more because there's an episode called Chachi Loses His Soul that came out the same week as this Out of the Blue show uh, uh, debuted. So Out of the Blue was a show about an angel named Ransom who comes from heaven to help this family of orphans, uh, <laughs> you know, with their daily lives. And this was a, a, a comedian named... Um, I think his name is Brogan. Uh, I might have it somewhere in the notes here. Uh, I want to say, uh, uh, I almost want to say Joe Brogan, <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's like Josh Brogan or Joe. Yeah. It's somebody Brogan. And he was like, sim he was a dry comedian who was on the tonight show and stuff. And they kind of wanted to repeat the same Robin Williams phenomenon with another show, but this show is just terrible. And by the way, there is this amazing YouTube channel. I need to link it in the show notes called 13 week theater, where they do all these things about shows that failed and a ton of spinoffs. Like I didn't even know there was like a spinoff called the Brady brides and another one oh, called the Brady's that. in the yeah. early nineties. Yeah. And, and he goes into those. There was a spinoff called Tabitha, which was grown up Tabitha from the bewitched. Yeah. You know, there's all these, or, or how about Fish? You remember Fish? The spinoff from Barney Miller? Yeah. Um, so it's like, there's all these spinoffs that kind of are in this TV graveyard in this great show called um, uh, 13 Week Theater. They did a thing on Out of the Blue so you can watch clips and how bad it is. But the same week that debuted, there's a show called, there's an episode of Happy Days, season seven called um, Chachi Sells His Soul, where the devil comes. <laughs> and gets Chachi to sell his soul. Of course. And then, and then this angel called Ransom comes down. And uh, we have a clip from that later. Uh, it, it Ransom comes down and he basically um, uh, tells uh, Fonzie that if he doesn't kiss a girl for 24 hours, he can save Chachi's soul. And it's so bad. Oh my God, it's so bad. But this that was the spinoff. And then, of course, they had some cartoon spinoffs. Uh, Fonzie and the Happy Days gang were, you know, Fonzie and, uh, you know, uh, Richie Cunningham and, and you know, Ralph Mouth and Potsy Weber and Joni travel around in a UFO with a young girl named Cupcake, who's like <laughs> a girl from the future. Why not? Um, almost could be on the regular Happy Days. The show had gotten so absurd by that point. And then there's Laverne and Shirley and Fonzie uh, was another uh, animated spinoff. Um, season eight, uh, Donnie Most and Ron Howard leave the show. It's like season eight or nine, I believe, uh, you know, with the pretense that they're going to the army and they have to serve in Greenland for some reason. Um, 
Yeah, well, so so you have sure. new right, yeah, exactly. So you have new stars joining the show. You have Scott Bayo becomes kind of the new pinup, whereas uh, Henry Winkler was the very unlikely pinup for for Fonzie. Uh, you have uh, more likely one in Scott Bayo as a teen idol. You have Ted McGinley who plays uh, the uh, Mary uh, Marion Ross's nephew Roger uh, Cunningham, and then you have Linda Goodfriend who plays Lori Beth, who becomes uh, you know he's he, she is. Uh, uh, Richie Cunningham's wife. You have Linda Pearl, who is on for a single season, and um, Heather O'Rourke, who is the little girl in Poltergeist, as a mother and daughter who become, uh, you know, uh, Linda Pearl becomes uh, Ash. Her name is Ashley. She's uh, Fonzie's love interest for a season. Um, you have, and then uh, he, Kathy Silvers, too, right? For Jenny Kathy Piccolo. Silvers is Jenny Piccolo. Yeah. Uh, oh, there goes one of my trivia questions. Who's Joni's best friend? Oh, I uh, yeah, so that. I'll skip Don't that even, one. Yeah, yeah that yeah. was the that was going to be one of the early, easier yeah. ones. But we'll go into that. And then Kristen Bernard. Um, Crystal, uh, who, I think, was her name, actually. Oh, uh, Crystal Bernard. Yeah, and yeah. she plays KC, who is what? The cousin yeah. uh, of, of the Cunningham. So you have all these different... Um, Actors come on the show, and of course, the show is canceled in 1984. Uh, the final episode is a wedding of Joni and Chachi. Oh, I forgot to mention one of the most important spinoffs, Joni Loves Chachi. So season 10 of Happy Days, Joni and, Ch- and Chachi leave. Al leaves. He marries uh, Chachi's mother, who is played by Ellen Travolta, which is John Travolta's older sister. Um, and then um, uh, you have, um, yeah, so you have those characters leave for Joni Loves Chachi. They move to Chicago. Chicago, and it's a failed spinoff. And we'll talk more about that when I go into the timeline of Happy Days. Um, and then, of course, uh, Happy Days is canceled. Laverne and Shirley gets canceled a year earlier. Mork and Mindy gets canceled even earlier than that. Angie gets canceled even earlier than that. And so the prospects of both ABC and Gary Marshall and TV are sort of over. Gary Marshall goes on to direct some of the most uh, esteemed uh, classic films of our times, uh, Overboard, uh, beaches, uh, Pretty Woman, uh, uh, The Princess Diaries, uh, uh, Monster geez. and La Georgia Rule. Yeah, and his stupid book, he goes into detail on fucking Overboard, one of the worst movies ever made. Beaches, I mean, these, you know, Pretty Woman, I guess, was a huge success and, you know, was uh, award nominated for awards, even though it's like a piece of absolute shit. Um, and even Monster and La Georgia Rule, I mean, you know, but he he's a massive, I mean, some, there's something to be said, and I'll talk about this for someone who could tap into something and be so popular. You know, I, I mean, he was the king of television in the late 70s. Uh, you can't really argue that. And there's something to be said for being able to understand what appeals to people. And his movies are similarly, you know, he has some hit and miss as far as popularity and acclaim. But he does, you know, Pretty Woman was a massive success. The Princess Diaries movies were massive successes. Um, and there's something to be said for that. Does that do that? Does that mean I think Thriller by Michael Jackson is the greatest album of all time? No, but there's something to be said for it, right? That it, that it somehow it appealed to people, and I do think that's kind of an interesting thing. Um, as to where the characters went, you know, um, obviously Ron Howard became a massively successful director, uh, arguably a little better than Gary Marshall, but not much. He has a lot to answer for for some of his crappy movies too. I think A Beautiful Mind, one of them movie that pissed me off so much because I was such a Lord of the Rings fan and it won best picture over that. And it's, uh, it's, it's really not very good, you know, but I like Apollo 13 a lot. And I think a few of his movies are actually really good. And he just seems Splash. like a cool dude. Yeah, Splash. Yeah. yeah. And he, um, and Night Shift, as you Night mentioned, a yeah. uh, good comedy. And, and he's, you know, he w- did Arrested Development. He produced that, which is one of my favorite shows of all time. And, um, 
you know, obviously Henry Winkler is still successful as a character actor and a, a comedian, a comedy actor. Uh, you know, the other actors, Marion Ross has had bit parts throughout, uh, you know, uh, and she's still alive. She's 93. Wow. Crazy. And she looks amazing. Like she doesn't, she looks like at least 15 years younger than she is. I mean, uh, and she still seems totally mentally has all her faculties. Interesting. Uh, Al, uh, you know, Al, uh, Molinaro played Al Del Vecchio. He didn't start acting until the early seventies. He actually was a, a police officer, this recurring character on the odd couple. And that's how he kind of got the part in happy days after uh, Pat Morita left. And, um, you know, he didn't do much after but he lived to be 96. That's he just crazy. Died recently, I think. He Did died he... in 19, uh, he died in 2015. Yeah. Yeah. And that's crazy because I thought this big fat guy is bad. Because he wasn't on the reunion specials. I'm like, oh, he must have died. Yeah. You know, he probably died in the, you know, and he was in the 90s review. Uh, there's another uh, reunion. I think we have a clip or two from, from the tw 2005 that was like the 30th anniversary uh, reunion. And he wasn't on there. So I thought, oh, he must be dead. You know, he's a big fat guy, probably had a heart attack. Nope lived to be 96. Um, you know, same with the other actors didn't really do much, obviously. Uh, you know, um, uh, yeah, I, I think, uh, I think, uh, Anson Williams became a director. He directed a lot of television and he did some kind of products and like infomercials. And I tried to find those and I couldn't, uh, for the clips, but, um, and he obviously he had a little bit of a recording career, uh, he had a song called Deeply that well, I think was number 100 on the charts or something. It did not very successful. Um, and then, uh, you know, of course, uh, Scott Baio, uh, you know, he had to Charles in Charge, Zapped. Uh, as we mentioned, uh, he had a minor teen idol recording career, which is insane because he, I mean, Anson Williams can at least sing. He's got a cheesy lounge singer voice, but um, a kind of schmaltzy voice. But uh, Scott Baio cannot sing at all. So it's yeah. kind of crazy. I actually think Aaron Moran was a much better singer than him. Uh, but she didn't have a very successful uh, post Happy Days career. I should also mention that all, a lot of the side characters, Anson Williams, uh, you know, Donnie Most and Aaron Moran and a few others, uh, I think uh, Marion Ross uh, sued uh, Gary Marshall uh, to get more royalties for all the residuals and all the merchandising and stuff. And they they sort of they sort of settled out of court for like they each got like sixty five thousand dollars, which isn't much considering how successful the show was. But they all patched things up. They all managed to patch things up and they're all friends, which is good, you know, um, and, and that happened. But Erin Moran has the most tragic story, I think, of everybody. Um, you know, she uh, her her prospects kind of went downhill. She got involved with drugs and stuff, and she eventually kind of had to leave Hollywood altogether and live with her mother in like a trailer park in Indiana. And uh, she looks pretty methy in her last shots. And then she was a heavy smoker and she died of throat cancer. Um, you know, I think in like, I don't remember, like early 2010s. So it's kind of a very sad story. But I mean, you know, most of these people kind of retired. And a few of them, like I said, like Ron Howard and Henry Winkler went on to some success afterwards. So that is the... And um, Pat Morita too, don't forget. Right, right, right. Kid, right. Yeah. That is the, um, yeah, Pat Morita is Karate Kid. That's a big one. That's a big one. I forgot. Um, uh, so that's it for the, the history. So uh, let's, let's uh, proceed. Yes. So here we go with a, a new installment here, which is, you know, at, at CFX, we examine a lot of the past cultural ephemera as we keep talking about. And there are certain things, and, and Slip was talking about some of the timeline inconsistencies with Happy Days, for example, is just one thing. But there are certain things that strike us as incorrect about these shows 
movies. Yeah, things. not realistic. Not realistic. Incomplete. Not realistic. Bizarrely wrong in various ways. And to remedy that and allow us to correct the past, and you know, we did a little bit of this in the Scorpions episode where we, you know, about the metric units, English unit systems. But right. To to remedy this, we have a new segment here um, to bring this greater truth to our audience, and it's called the CFX Reenactment Theater. And today's the first installment of that, and uh, the name of this little segment is called uh, Crappy Days, uh, in homage to Mad Magazine, who I actually, I think, had an issue that was called Crappy Days. So this That's is right. A- that was their parody, and I, uh, yeah, yeah, it's again. A, it's, well- it's a direct ripoff of that name, but, you know, Mad Magazine will no doubt cover, we've already talked about it a lot on the show, no doubt devote episodes, maybe multiple ones to it, because it was so important. Yes. But this is, we're about, let's do uh, the first episode here of the reenactment theater for our audience. And let's take a look at this. Sunday, Monday, happy days. days. Tuesday, Wednesday, happy, happy days. days. Thursday, Friday, happy, happy days. days. The weekend comes, my cycle hums, ready to race to you. These days are all happy days. Hey, Fonzie, I really need to talk to you. It's always something with you, Cunningham. Uh, I, I asked Betty Sue Swenson to go to Inspiration Point, and she was not sure she wanted to go steady, and I don't know what to do, Fonz. Sounds like the usual emergency. Step into my office. Uh, the men's room, Fonzie? About that. Cunningham, office, now. So, Fonzie, like I was saying, Betty Sue, uh, oh, hey, Al, how you doing? Yeah, 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 Uh, Al's gonna use the facilities, maybe we should... Hey, don't be a nerd, Cunningham, the man weighs 300 pounds and eats nothing but onion rings and chili cheese fries all day. Of course he is! Yeah, yeah, Okay, so what's the urgent girl problem you have, Cunningham? Uh, yeah, so like I was saying, Betty Sue Swenson, uh... I still got it. I'm a man in pain, but I still got it. Uh, hey, Mal. Uh, maybe, Fonzie, we should, uh... Come on, Cunningham, I ain't got all day. Okay, yeah, Fonzie, like I was saying... <laughs> hey, Cunningham, did I ever tell you about the Fonzie's little black book? Yeah, Fonz, you talk about that all the time. Let's see, Loretta Torofino. She got two red stars next to her name. Do you know what that means, Cunningham? Jeez, I don't know, Fonzie. She has two heads? Look, I'm 16 and it's 1955. I haven't even felt a boob yet. Hey! Fonzie, about Inspiration Point. Jeez, Fonz, why are you punching yourself in the Johnson? Cunningham, I got an itch downstairs like you wouldn't believe. And hey, it works for the jukebox and the Coke machine. Little Fonzie and the two meatballs down there. Whoa! Fire engine red. Gee, Fonzie, I, uh... Maybe next time, little Fonzie needs a leather jacket. Hey! You should really see a doctor, Fonzie. 
Whoa, doctors are for nerds. The Funz doesn't want some fruity doctor poking around the Fonzarelli jewels. Listen, Fonzie, about Betty Sue. Pinky Tuscadero. What? Your ex-girlfriend. Uh, you two were going to get married, right? Hey, Cunningham, you know how Pinky got a nickname? Uh, she rides a pink motorcycle? Wears pink clothes, so I thought that might be the thing. Incorruptamundo! She does this thing with the pinky finger, Cunningham, that you wouldn't believe. Fonzie, I'm not sure I understand or I should even ask about that. But, but hey, Fonz, about my issue with Betty Sue. Uh, let's see. Let me just flip to Cindy Caruso. Uh, wait, wait, Fonz, what's this Mrs. C? Why is my mom in your little black book? And wait, my brother Chuck? Hey, the Fonz loves everybody. Fonzie, this isn't right. Watch it, Cunningham. Be cool. Fonzie, this is crazy. Fonzie crazy? Hey, sit on it. Uh, so this is why Chuck moved to San Francisco. Yeah, I miss Chuck. Reminds me of a nursery rhyme we used to say. Chuck be nimble. Chuck be quick. Chuck can suck. No, Fonzie. No. <laughs> Hello, sunshine. Goodbye, rain. She's wearing my school ring on the chain. She's my steady. I'm a man. Yeah, so as you you might guess, uh, we had a little fun with that, but the, the main premise there is Fonzie had his office in the men's room at Arnold's. How weird is that? The men's room in a greasy fucking spoon restaurant where people are eating cheeseburgers and all sorts of weird, gross stuff. And Fonzie had his office in there, so much so that in later episodes when Arnold's burns down and they rebuild it, they put a desk with a phone <laughs> on the right, desk that's right, that's in right. the men's room so Fonzie can make calls, presumably, to all his girls from the men's room while Al, Vecchio and Ralph and everyone else is in there taking a dump. I don't know. I, I mean... How bizarre was that to you growing up? I had thought yeah, about yeah. it. It was weird. It was weird. I actually watched a clip of an episode where it's not, it's kind of funny there. Uh, Fonzie takes Richie into uh, the, the restroom because Richie had, you know, been tasked with watching Fox Fonzie's girl while he was away at a demolition derby. And, you know, she, she doesn't like Fonzie kind of, you know, kind of being so possessive. So she decides to fuck with the situation by hitting on Richie and he eventually makes out with her. And he tell you know, Fonz has to take him into the bathroom because he has to figure out what to do about his reputation that Richie's done this. And they're, they're kind of talking about it. And this guy keeps coming in trying to go to the bathroom. So this guy comes <laughs> in and he's like, he's like, Hey, you know, he's like, Hey, we're in a meeting and he leaves. And then he, he's like, he comes in again. And he's like, I really got to go, Fonz. And Fonzie's like, hey, the gas, go to the gas station. He's like, but the gas station is two miles away. 
Um, and then he, <laughs> he and then he leaves, and then he comes back, and he's like, "Yeah, station's closed." Fonz, and Fonz is like, "Okay," you know, and he lets him go in the bathroom. But it's like that's that kind of reminded me of that of how absurd that was. It's pretty yeah. funny. So we hope you enjoyed uh, uh, the first episode of the reenactment theater. A little more realistic, maybe a little more nauseating, but uh, realistic. So, so there you go. Um, all right, let's roll into our evaluations of Happy Days. Yeah. So, so before we start those, I have a little segment I I wanted to throw in here uh, that I mentioned to you before. It's kind of a surprise, a, a little trivia segment because when we started researching, throwing all this stuff out to me, like Malachi Brothers, remember them? And I'm like. Oh, yeah. You know, I didn't remember as much as you. Like, it seemed like you remember more. So I just decided to um, uh, I just decided to throw some throw some trivia. So I'm going to start out really easy and it'll get a little harder. Uh, right. OK, first, uh, let's do what is Chachi's last name? Arcola. Yeah. OK, easy. Uh, Potsy's real first name. Uh, let's see. W- uh Weber. So it's Potsy Weber. Weber. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Oh, I know this. I know this. It's, this is um, what uh, Mrs. C William, always calls him. Uh, close, no. close. Start w- uh, with the W. W- Wilson. Um, I forget, but I knew it. I'm not sure. Yeah, Warren. Warren. It's Warren. Yeah, Warren. Yeah. Okay, that's right. Yeah, Warren Weber. Okay. Okay. I got the uh, w. So, I got the w. so in. Right, right. I and uh, let's see. Um, okay. Uh. Let's see. A little harder here. Okay, Ralph Mouth. There's an episode where we meet Ralph's father. I think at least one episode where his parents are getting good. Okay, good, good. Wow, you got it. You got it. You read my mind. Um, Okay, what is the name of Leather Tuscadero's backup band? Oh, that's a good one. Um, Susie Quattro obviously played Leather Tuscadero. That's right, that's Uh, right. The backup band was it like? Um, I I don't know. I want to say like the the splashes or like uh, uh, really close. It starts with an S. Yeah, I I don't remember. think of leather, leather, and another material. Uh, Do you think suede? of another? Yeah, leather and the suede. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's it. That's good. Good job. Okay, now we're gonna get a little little weirder. So during the first two seasons, there's a peripheral character who's kind of the nemesis of of the guys, and he's a member of a gang. Right. And he wears his jacket. I want you to give me the name of the gang and the name of the character. Hmm. It's a tough one. Yeah. yeah. I, I remember the guy, the actor. I can picture it. Right. And they and then one episode, they want to join the gang and and they need to go through an initiation where they where dress they, as girls. Right. They dress as girls. That. that was going to be my next question. But do you remember the name of the gang? It starts with a D. It's the demons or the demons. Yeah. yeah. Do you and remember the name of the character? Uh, it's written on the front of his jacket. Yeah. yeah uh, like the name of Fonzie's gang originally were the Falcons, right? That was going to be another question. So you already answered that. What was uh, the name of Fonzie's original gang? The Falcons. Uh, yeah. What's the, what's the guy's name? I could totally picture him too. Um, shit. In the I interest of, in the interest of time, I'm going to give it to you. Okay. Bag. Okay, his I name is Bag. Yeah. That. No, yeah, yeah, that wasn't floating around in my head. All right, so uh, let's see. Uh, Fonzie's Bag. gang, you already got. Um, okay, Al has a twin brother. Ah. Uh, do you remember this? No, I, I okay. don't actually. Okay, I'll talk more about that. Well, his name. The the two parts are what is what is his name and what does he do, 
And the first part is Anthony is his name, and he's a priest. And I'm gonna go that. I'm yeah. gonna go into that because that's before the Hollywood episode, and that's already stupid. Right. So right. okay. Um Rosa Coletti was his uh Oh dude, that would have been a good that would have been a good yeah. one too. Okay, and then finally the hardest one. I'll give you the absolute hardest one. Uh, oh no. Uh, easier one. What instrument does Richie Cunningham play? They are in a band. What does he play? He plays multiple instruments, actually. Okay. This is a crazy question. This is super hard. All right. At the beginning of the sixth season, right? We talked about the Hollywood episode at the beginning of the fifth season. There is a multi-part episode called Westward Ho, where uh, basically the whole cast goes to this dude ranch that's owned by Marion's Uncle Ben. Uh, uh, and... Um, the plot is basically that both Richie and Fonzie fall for this cowgirl who works at the dude ranch. Uh, they fall for the same girl. What is her name? The actress's name or the character's the name? character's name. Uh, I have no idea. Yeah, that's a crazy one. Thunder. That's uh, what, just because it's so <laughs> stupid. Um, okay. At any rate, uh, that's it for the trivia segment. So let's get into the evaluations. All right. Um, okay. So I want to I want to make it clear that there is a very big difference between my opinion of the show for the first two seasons and for the rest of the show. I actually really like the first two seasons of the show. And it, I, you know, I was watching mostly those clips because again, as I mentioned, only Paramount had a uh, Paramount plus had season two, but I did watch other clips from the other seasons and other episodes. Um, and I really like the first two seasons because it's more realistic. Uh, for one thing, one thing I love about the first two seasons of the show is, as you you know, we didn't mention this um, during the history, but of course, the first season of the show, the theme song is actually Rock Around the Clock or the opening credits are to Bill Haley and the comments Rock Around the Clock. And that's when the show is supposed to be around 55, 56. Right. So um, and we'll talk more about the timeline in a minute. How fucking confusing it is. But anyway, uh the first two seasons of the show, they have these opening credits. And then, of course, they had the Happy Days theme. And I forgot to mention that that song was so popular that it actually was a top 10 hit as well. That's crazy. Um, yeah, it's crazy. So so the first two seasons of the show, there's a lot more realism. There's a lot more outdoor scenes. Like a lot of the action takes place in the Arnold's parking lot. Whereas in the subsequent seasons, it's all on sets, you know, because it's in front of a live studio audience. But I love this realism. And I also think what I really like is the opening credits. There's a series of like little gags, right? Sight gags. Like one of them is a guy and a girl are necking in a car. She's got a ponytail and it's a convertible and they, they lift up the convertible and her, you know, her ponytail is revealed to be fake and it, and it gets caught on the car and gets pulled up. Another one is that, um, you know, uh, Potsy and Richie are in one car in the drive-in and Ralph Malp is with the girl in the other and Ralph this. reaches yeah. over to kiss her and he falls through the, they both fall through the door. There's a bunch of these, um, you know, obviously there's one where Ralph Malp is speaking in a parking lot out of a, uh, kind of blow, bullhorn and one of the waitresses puts a, stuffs a hamburger in it. There's all these little gags that totally capture that kind of playful teen. I there's actually one that's kind of creepy where, um, Potsy and Richie don these ski masks and they run through the halls of the high school and they take off one of the uh, teachers toupees, you know, but it's got to, <laughs> but, it, but it's, those are legitimately funny and it really captures that kind of spirit. It's almost like a catcher in the rye or, you know, goodbye Columbus or Portnoy's complaint kind of vibe to it. And a lot of the early shows, there's a lot of edgy kind of sexual dialogue. Well, you, you played a clip of 
the Angora sweater clip that right. Howard is, you know, there's stuff like that throughout the first season. And it's like, they're basically just trying to get girls. And um, it's actually pretty in- entertaining. And and the way that's shot, it looks really good. And and I think the 50s-ness of it is more apparent. Now, obviously, the collars are too wide. You know, the haircuts aren't quite right. But at least there's some semblance of trying yeah. to look like the 50s. Whereas when you go the third season and beyond, they throw all that shit out the window, right? Um, so I really like that. Uh, a couple of my favorite episodes. One of my favorites is an episode that actually really grounds the show in a specific time frame, which is the second season where Richie falls for a girl who is campaigning for Adlai Stevenson. And of course, his father is a longtime Republican and likes Ike. And it's kind of cool the way that Richie starts kind of hitting on her for the, for the for the girl. But then he eventually really does kind of like Stevenson. And it's kind of an episode where he's rebelling against his father in a way, uh, his father's tradition, because he's like, and when I when we were kids, our, 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 you know, we always did what our parents said. We always followed our parents. And obviously, Richie can't vote yet, but he's still campaigning and he does this big speech at the end. And I think it's a really good, subtle way of kind of showing the it's more about the times, you know, where the 70s, early 70s, late 60s, a lot of kids are rebelling against their parents. I thought this was a really clever way to show that. Um, and then uh, there's another episode that I really like that's called Haunted, where there's this house that everyone thinks is haunted. And, um, you know, they want to throw a party there and Richie's kind of chicken. You know, and yeah. there's this whole and, and it's like there's all these gags. They like bag ends up playing a gag on him and then, you know, he ends up. You know, they, they, it's just really good teenage kind of fun and it captures the the time. And um, it's kind of ironic because in that early show, the haunting is obviously not real. But in the later episode, they actually have an exorcism at the Cunningham's house to get rid of some a, a, a curse that an evil old woman placed on Al's arm. I mean, <laughs> so so the later episodes, they would have had it be a real ghost. There's also another episode later. And again, I'll talk about some of the uh, uh, crazy plots where actually Fonzie is fixing up a car that turns out to be haunted by this mm, woman who died. Yeah. So so it's like now, why was this show? What's good about this show and why was it so popular? So, again, those first two seasons, I mostly like them. There's a, a, a couple of exceptions. But um, the cast, I think the cast is so good in this show that people really wanted to see them do anything. And that's why the later episodes, they kind of go off the rails as far as anachronisms and as far as quality and ridiculousness. Um, You know, um, but again, as as we kind of talked about earlier, the show wasn't too bad as far as the old age of the cast. I mean, as I mentioned you know, Howard, by the time the show started, was 20. Most was 21. Uh, oh, OK. So I got that wrong. I thought most was closer to Williams's age. So Mo- Danny, Donnie Most was actually close to Ron Howard's age. And then, of course, Williams was old, you know, but Aaron Moran was 15. So it, it's pretty good. Um, and the cast was good. I mean, Ron Howard's really funny. He's really appealing. Obviously, uh, um, Henry Winkler nails the Fonzie character to the point where it became this icon. Um, and, you know, uh, Marion uh, Ross is really good as the mother. You know, uh, Tom Bosley is good as the father. I think in the early years, they're all pretty solid cast members. Joni is kind of, a, and again, the influence on another show we watched, What's Happening. Joni's a huge influence on the character of Dee. Yeah, for you know, sure. Very similar kind of harass. And of course, Roger is very influenced by Richie Cunningham. You no know, it's, it's, it's very similar. So I think the show had its 
had a really good cast, and I think that's why it's appealing. And again, the creation of the Marshall verse, right? We have all these universes now, the, the Marvel universe. Gary Marshall created his own universe, right? He had Mork and Mindy and Laverne and Shirley. And there's something to be said for the ability to do that and continue to be popular. I think he just really had good instincts. He was really smart. Um, and he had some bad instincts too, as we'll talk about. Now let's talk about the bad. So I want to just... I want to just play a bunch of clips here of the music on the show, just in a row, so you <laughs> okay. can hear how fucking terrible it is. Uh, there, the show did a lot of musical stuff, so so let's play that, uh, play those clips, and we'll talk about them after. Yeah, you know, um, I think before when you were asking about the uh, music instruments that Richie played, he played a saxophone was the answer to the question. Oh yeah. So we got, we had a little technical glitch there, so we didn't get to that question. Uh, you know, but that was one of the questions. We may want to edit that in post, but, but yeah, that was the, yeah, they're all, they always have bands and stuff. It's ridiculous. And, and of course let's play in a few episodes too, by the way, is the point I wanted to. Oh, wow. Okay. I didn't remember that. So you knew more than me on that. You could have asked me what was the other instrument he played and I would have got it wrong. So I always thought it was saxophone. All right. So cool. Let's, let's do the Let's play our musical montage here. You want me to play them all in a row? Uh, we can play, let's play the first two because they're both Anson Williams. Um, and then we'll talk about those and then we'll play the others. All right, let's do that. One, two, one, two, three. Pumps your blood. The right atriums where the process begins, where the CO2 blood enters the heart. Through the tricuspid valve to the right ventricle, the pulmonary artery and lungs. Once inside the lungs, it dumps its carbon dioxide and picks up its oxygen supply. Then it's back to the heart, through the pulmonary vein, through the atrium and left ventricle. He's no Gary Busey, you know what I mean? Dude, it hits, it's like the blandest Pat Boone style voice. I mean, it's so not rock and roll. It's so not rock and roll. So that that last one, of course, we heard was his rendition or his demolishing of Buddy Holly's classic, Oh Boy. And that woman who sings with him just destroys him. Like, she sounds like a rockabilly. Like, she's yeah. got edge to her voice. And he said this bland, oh boy, you don't. No, what you've been missing, oh boy. This kind of schmaltz uh, Pat Boone lounge voice. Yeah. Um, and of course, before we heard the infamous, um, this is when they're in college, the Pump Your Blood song that uh, Potsy uses to memorize the uh, his uh, his anatomy lesson, right? Um, yeah, it's it. Anson Williams is ubiquitous on this show. He was a singer. You know, he sings Splush Splush, was taking a bath and all that. It's pretty, pretty terrible. Um, and as I mentioned, he sang a lot of the show's the songs that they put on the jukebox. So they just made them, they took out whatever edge and, and classic, uh, uh, you know, I guess uh, quality out of them, leech them of any soul. And, and there you have it. 
So now let's go on to another. Uh, so we had a famous musical guest on the show who played a recurring character, Leather Tuscadero. That was Susie Quattro. So let's play a little bit of her uh, musical contribution to the show. Yeah, terrible, right? Yeah. I, 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 I mean, Susie Quattro played this kind of lukewarm 50s music. It was really popular in Britain. There's another band called Mud. If you look up the band Mud on YouTube, I promise you, you won't be disappointed with how bad it is um, <laughs> and how funny it is. But it, there were a lot of these bands that were, they look 70s. You know, they had these kind of Rod Stewart haircuts like she does. She has a kind of a Ron Wood style hair with that glam rock hair. But they played this 50s music and she... uh you know, had a lot of hits in England. She was really huge. Uh, not so big here, but again, uh, you know, it's it's kind of 50s, I guess, but it's kind of has all the edge sapped out of it. You know, it's really lukewarm. Now we're going to go to one. This is this is another one. Um, the next clip is actually Fonzie singing Heartbreak Hotel. And what's funny about this is this is the third season, and we start to see, as we mentioned, we talked about Jump the Shark, we start to see some anachronisms come into the show, you know, and and one of them is the fact that he's portraying Elvis, but the way he's dressed is like 70s Elvis. Yeah. He's got like this fringe jacket. He doesn't look like Elvis would look in the 50s. He looks like um, fat Elvis in Vegas. Yeah, exactly. So uh, let's play that clip of Heartbreak Hotel. Maestro, hit it. One, two. Uh, since my baby left me... Uh, I found a new place to dwell. Uh, it's down on the end of Lonely Street. Uh, it's called Heartbreak Hotel. Uh, I, I, I feel so lonely, baby. I feel so lonely. Yeah, uh, listen, uh, the place is always crowded. Uh, but you can always find some room yeah, to cry there and tear there with your broken hearted. Yeah. So so it's, it, you know, it's it's for comic effect and it's kind of funny, you know, the whole girl screaming at anything joke. Yeah. Uh, but but it's just kind of one of those, you know, another great musical contribution. And then finally, we saved the worst for last. Uh, <laughs> here we go. Last clip. Let's play it. Yeah. I mean, does that sound like anything that was from the early 60s or late 50s? No, it sounds I mean, like it, 70s theme, 
uh, show me song. Yeah, it sounds here. like a sitcom theme, yeah, right? Yeah. And it's like, of course, it's uh, Aaron Moran and uh, Scott Baio, you know, yeah. and there was so much music, especially on the Joni Loves Chachi, which, of course, we have the theme song from Joni Loves Chachi as well, which is like a kind of early 80s love ballad. Could have been like a Lionel Richie throwaway or something. I mean, it doesn't sound remotely 50s. And that's, of course, one of the problems I'm going to talk about more. Um, but let's first jump into the to, to let's jump into anachronisms and and um, let's let's talk about the timeline of happy days, because I think this is something that I've looked at a lot for the show because it was so interesting to me, uh, because you have this multi you have this universe of different shows. Right. So you have Laverne and Shirley and Happy Days. And um, what's crazy is the early show really did try to ground it in a specific time. I mean, I mentioned the Adlai Stevenson episode, so that's very specific time, right? That's fall of 1956 is when that election was. And during that first, during that season, Richie and Potsy say, Oh, we're sophomores now. So that's 56. And then two years later in the season four, of course we have the graduation and Ponzi also manages to go to school again and be part of the graduation because everybody has to be part of everything, right? right. Everyone has to go to Hollywood. Everyone has to go to the dude ranch. Um, um, so that pretty much grounds it in what 1958, right? So that's yep. the fourth season, 58. So the show is 11 years long. And so you would think by the end of the show, it would be what 1967, right? Yep. And that's crazy because we have a few other signposts along the way, uh, that, um, you know, that kind of give you a clue as to what year it is. And then of course we have Laverne and Shirley that makes this much more explicit, um, and so I'm going to go into a little bit of that now. So, of course, we had um, one of the one of the other signposts we had was a season 10 episode. Um, so they graduate in 58. Right. And then, uh, re- you know, they go to college and then they go to the army and all this stuff. And by season 10, uh, you know, none of the um, characters, most of the, a lot of the characters have left, like Joni and Chachi have their own show, et cetera. But there's an episode in season 10 where Fonzie is worried about the popularity of folk music overtaking rock and roll. <laughs> so when would that, so obviously, you know, that can't be post Beatles, right? That right. has to be pre Beatles because no one would be concerned about the popularity of folk music after the Beatles. Yeah, there's no, like there's no question. 60s. Right. Right. So early sixties, there's another episode around this time. Frankie Avalon is, is everyone wants to get Frankie Avalon on. So that's definitely pre Beatles. Right. And then, of course, during the same season, there is an episode of Joni Loves Chachi called Beatlemania, where uh, Joni thinks she sees Paul McCartney. So that has to be before 1967, because the Beatles wouldn't have been in America in 67 because they stopped touring in 66. This is the kind of fucking nerdy shit I get into with this stuff. Yeah. It's like it's like crazy. But it's like um, and of course, in the 10th season, KC also everybody has to sing. And we didn't play this in the clips. But she sings Stop in the Name of Love. That was released in 64. So it's got to be a minimum of 64. Right. So maybe you, at best you could say, OK, with the folk music thing, the Beatlemania, it's got to be around 64. Right. Maybe maybe the t- maybe the timeline doesn't quite flow year by year. You know, like it was in the beginning. It was very clear. Two years is two years. But maybe they changed it and it, and it kind of is different. Right. Well, around the same time, Laverne and Shirley was canceled a year before Happy Days was. So the last season of Laverne and Shirley was 82, 83. The last season of Happy Days was 83, 84. Now, the last two seasons of Laverne and Shirley take place in Hollywood. They've moved from Milwaukee to Hollywood. And at the end of the opening credits, there are two things that kind of give you a sense of what year it is. One is they have these giant beetle cutouts 
yeah. that are cardboard cutouts and they kiss them. They plant like they, right. they plant kisses that. on them. Yeah, yeah. Right. And then the end of the, uh, uh, the, the second of the last season, the, uh, the seventh season, the Vernon Shirley ran eight seasons, the seventh season of Laverne and Shirley, they show a banner at the end that says 1966. And in the eighth season, it's actually 1967. Right. So it, that means that when Fonzie is worried about folk music overtaking, uh, uh, you know, if the if the if we go year by year, because obviously Laverne and Shirley have been guests on many Happy Days episodes. They started as a guest on Happy Days, right? So we right. we can consider they're in the same time. So um, that means Fonzie is worried about folk music, oh, and, and it overtaking the popularity of rock and roll in 1967, <laughs> which of <laughs> course you have Jimi Hendrix and you know yeah. Sergeant Peppers is already out by then. Right. So that leads me to the conclusion. And of course, you have Mork for Mork throwing everything off, right? Because he appears he appears first in Happy Days. Then later, his show actually takes place in Boulder, Colorado in the present day. And right. then in season, I think it's season six or seven, he comes back to Happy Days as a guest star, maybe right. just to get more ratings or whatever. And, you know, and so in other words, he's traveling back and forward in time, which is fine because he's an alien, right? He might have that capability. Um, but... But what's even more confusing to me is uh, Laverne and Shirley, right? So they're 67. There's no way Fonzie's worried about the popularity of folk music in 1967, right? When the Beatles have already kind of, you know, if rock and roll was going to die, it certainly wasn't going to die after the Beatles were the most popular band in the world. Um, and the so that, of the world that, that leads me yeah. to the conclusion that Gary Marshall is doing something very sophisticated here. Laverne and Shirley are actually time travelers. Ah, so they're, so when it. they go to visit, they go back two year, two or three years earlier to be on Happy Days. So they actually know the future and they're actually from the future. So that is the conclusion <laughs> I've come to with this timeline. Maybe it was um, the Milk and Pepsi that did it. Yeah, Milk and Pepsi, which yeah. incidentally I forgot to mention was actually a real thing that, that uh, Marshall's parents did um, to to make milk last more or something. Wouldn't you use water? Like our powdered milk? Like what the hell? Milk and Pepsi? Like, you know, at any rate, I don't know. It sounds disgusting, but supposedly it was a real thing. Also another episode, uh, which we'll talk, we might refer to again in the ridiculous plotline segment of my evaluation is that Chachi auditions for the Beach Boys in one of the final episodes of the show. So that would be 67. That could be possible. But again, and then there's another episode where Al, you know, uh, it's one of these political episodes. There are a few of them uh, where Al sees on TV, he sees a civil rights kind of, he sees like an incident where a black man is beaten for trying to get into a, a segregated restaurant and he convinces Fonzie to go to a civil rights demonstration. So again, Happy Days seems more firmly planted in the early 60s. Um, at, at, the, at the end, it would be 64, 65 at the latest, really. There's no indication of any cultural things from 66 or 67. There's no hippies who come into Arnold's, right? So, so <laughs> well, that would have been awesome, just, though. That would have been awesome. <laughs> yeah, I know. Hey, what's this hippie here? Hey, yeah. hey, put on your shoes in here. Hey, yeah. you know, but but it's like, yeah, yeah. So it's just it's just ridiculous. The timelines just don't add up, right? Okay, jumping the shark. Let's talk about that. So that was my original reason for for starting this episode. So you know, the whole theory is that uh, the first four seasons of Happy Days were perfect. Uh, they were great. You know, they kind of stuck to the 50s, no anachronisms. And then by the fifth season, when they did this Hollywood plot, it just jumped the shark and started going crazy after that. Again, mostly true. After the fifth season, things do get more ridiculous. And we'll talk about that a little bit in the in some of the plot ideas. But 
I would argue the show started jumping the shark pretty early on. So in season two, there is an episode where Fonzie has a little, this could have been one of my trivia questions to you, uh, has a little uh, uh, cousin. His name is Spike. And he is basically a little version of Fonzie with mirror shades, leather jacket, you know, a slick down hairdo. And he rides a little bicycle that looks like Fonzie's motorcycle. I remember okay, that. yeah. that's fucking jumping the shark hardcore. That is yeah. the dumbest, and he dates Joni, <laughs> and it's the dumbest thing ever. He comes a few uh, a, a few times. Then I mentioned the Fonzie singing where he's dressed like 70s Elvis. Already you're taken out of the past. You know, you're kind of reliving the 50s and enjoying these kind of fun 50s events, kind of thrown out of, out of whack by this whole 70s Elvis coming. Um, and you could even argue the jumping over the garbage cans that was so popular. That's completely evil Knievel. Right? No I mean, they're just that, trying to, yeah. yeah, they're just trying to capitalize on that. And then I would argue the Pinky Descadero episode is also jumping the shark. That's like, that's ridiculous, right? That whole episode with the Bellachi brothers is just silly, right? It's kind of fun, but silly. And then, of course, Al's brother showing up as a priest, you know, twi- Al having a twin brother, Anthony, who shows up as a priest is also ridiculous. So, so it already started to be silly. You know, um, but it's not even as ridiculous as they could have made it, which have been not his twin brother, but his identical cousin. Right. Which is a trope that many, many sitcoms have abused uh, over the years. That's where, right. That's yeah. right. Yeah, so, that's true. That's the same trope. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, and this show is very guilty of a lot of the tropes. I'm not sure if it created some of them. One of the things Gary Marshall talks about in his book is the shut in episode. So what they do is. The way they would they would do more expensive episodes like the Hollywood episode, right? That's very expensive because they're on location. You know, it's a lot more money. And then they would they would they would save money by doing other episodes. Like there's an episode. This was another one I needed to watch to get more of a sense of the time. But there's a time capsule episode where they're doing a time capsule and they're going to lock it in a vault that's below the hardware store where you know that Howard uh, Cunningham owns. And they get locked in the vault. And the whole episode is there in the vault. There's another one where there's a snowstorm and they're shut in Arnold's by the snowstorm. So it's a cheap episode because it's just a one room episode. Yeah. Right. So they would they would save money by doing that. And then, of course, the other thing they would do, um, you know, are these clip shows. Uh, They would do they had one called Home Movies. That's a two parter. That was just a clip of you know, past things that had happened in the show. And they would do every year, they would do an anniversary show that was like a clip show. So they would do silly things like that. Let's talk about some of the fucking insane plot ideas that happen after they jump the shark. Obviously, there's a Hollywood episode where they all somehow go to Hollywood, even though it's really just uh, Fonz who gets the part. Um, there's the Westward Ho episode series. It's three or four episodes where they go to a dude ranch, you know, and Fonzie rides a bull. Uh, there's obviously Fonzie's superpowers. <laughs> I remember that one. It was so terrible. It was so the, terrible. The leather right. jacket. You just see that bouncing around on the bull. Yeah, it's so dumb, right? Fonzie's yeah. a superhero. He's an absolute superhero, right? He has superpowers. We can talk about that. How he can hit a jukebox. You know, well, he, he obviously could get rid of VD by hitting his balls, right? We right. About that. Um, so, the, most imp- the most impressive feat of all, by the way. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a degree of magical realism in this show. You know, there's Mork has powers. Fonzie has powers. There's a, a character named Ransom that I mentioned in the Chachi uh uh, sells his soul episode that's an angel that comes down and yeah. they're actually taught Richie's talking to him about will he go to heaven and he's all you're such a goody two shoes you're gonna be get my job you know and it's so bad um and what, what about the the Fonzarelli jewels yeah the Fonzarelli jewels right yeah so so um again let's uh and then of course 
Fonzie's superpowers don't just extend to items, right? He actually does an episode where they go camp camping and he's trying to sleep. And it's obviously filmed in a studio, very similar to the Three's Company and camping. He's laying there and and he um he basically snaps his finger and fingers and goes, cool it, and all the animals stop. <laughs> you know, so that's his superpower, right? Uh he even says something like, let's see Tarzan do that. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So let's, um, uh, uh, I forgot to talk about the library card episode. So I wanted to, uh, in terms of the show's popularity, and this is probably a plus in the show's factor, it was so popular that there's an episode where Fonzie gets a library card and actual requests for library cards skyrocketed around the country uh, from kids wanting to go read books. Uh, So, I mean, that's, you know, something to be said for that. Um, But let's talk about... um, some of the crazy plot ideas, right? So I want you to play this clip of promos that was from one of the later seasons. This is like a, a list of kind of upcoming episodes. All right. Let's get a new look and a new teaching job that's no easy assignment on Happy Days. I know, I know, I know. I'm tired. I don't care what your name is. You're late. Here's the unhappy days that Cunningham's nephew moves in. But he and the Fonz become instant enemies. I'm talking rumble here, Jack. Tuesday, Charchi and Joni have a lover's quarrel. I can't believe you lied to me. The next thing I know, you're going to lose respect for the flesh. Happy days. Tuesday on Happy Days, the dear old golden rule days take a backward slide when Fonzie campaigns for Teacher of the Year. Tuesday, the Happy Days gang meets a Frankenstein doctor who kidnaps them to help him drain the Fonz of all his cool. Dude, that's real. That's a real episode. The fucking, <laughs> fucking, uh, fucking mad Dr. Frankenstein who kidnaps Fonzie to drain his cool. It's a dream sequence, but it's ridiculous. Yeah. And there are so many more of these. There's a Thanksgiving episode where they all become pilgrims. There's an episode where Marion becomes like a fairy godmother and she basically converts leather into like this princess. Wow. So she, she gets rid of her. Christ. There's, um, okay, let's go over a few of these plot lines. Uh, there's the one where Fonzie restores a wrecked uh, 55 Chevy that is haunted by a woman. Uh, there's the one with the seance, as I mentioned. Uh, there's one where Howard has to shave at the kitchen table, so he hires a bunch of Fonzie's students. You know, Fonzie's now a teacher to, to build a bathroom. Uh, there's the one where Chachi, again, auditions for the Beach Boys. He can't go because he finds out he has diabetes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> so there's the one where... Um, uh, Fonz and and the aforementioned uh, Roger uh, basically are flying to a teacher's convention. The plane crashes and they're stranded on a mountaintop, right? So that's one. Uh, there's one where, um, uh, let's see, uh, Fonzie becomes obsessed with Tchaikovsky and is trying to convince kids to listen to classical music instead of rock and roll. That's mm-hmm. a real episode. Uh, there's, yeah, the mad scientist. There's a there's a whole farmer's daughter episode. You know, the classic joke where the salesmen come and want to mess with the farmer's daughter. The farmer's got a shotgun. There's an episode like that. Uh, there's a burlesque episode where Howard's trying to put on a burlesque show for some reason. There's, um, uh, there's one... That, there's yeah. one where Richie gets some mysterious substance at a party that turns him into a maniac. Uh, there's one where Fonzie has a dog and the dog is lethargic, so he gets actual psychiatrist Dr. Joyce Brothers to counsel the dog, right? Uh, there is one uh, where, um, I mentioned the exorcism one. Uh, there is one where Fonzie has to fence against a fencing champion 
when he insults Joni and insults America. Uh-huh, naturally. Uh, there's, of course, the Mork episodes. There's Al's twin brother. What about uh, the one with Tom Hanks where he's like some karate dude? Do you remember That's that right. One? Tom Hanks is bullied by Fonz when he's a little kid, so he comes back to get revenge, and he's a ridiculous karate guy who looks like no one ever looked from the 1950s, right? Uh-huh. Um, so, so yeah, um, that's, that's how crazy this freaking show got. And uh, that's that's a, a definite negative against it. And then, of course, we talk about the anachronisms. Like, right, they, the first two years, they kind of cared about being in the historical period. All all that went aside. I mean, you have Leather Tuscadero, who has her hair like fucking Ziggy Stardust, you know, showing up. You've got Ralph Malph in the later years. His hair, he grows his curly hair out. He's got short curly at the beginning. By the end, he looks like fucking Art Garfunkel. <laughs> you know, it's like ridiculous. Potsy has this kind of feathered hair. He's got designer jeans. Um, you've got Chachi, who's got fucking Jackson Brown hair and is singing yeah. like kind of early, you know, early 80s uh, soft rock. Um, and, you know, it's just ridiculous, the anachronisms. Um, and, you know, there's just no way this looks 50s at all or seems 50s at all. Um, and the other thing, of course, is uh, another short is, of course, it's hard to watch. As I mentioned, it's hard to watch. And if people can't watch it, uh, you mean hard you know, to watch and difficult to find it. It's difficult that. to find, right? And and then, of yeah. course, this whole, we mentioned the episodic nature. It becomes more ridiculous when you watch these episodic shows in a row, how, like, inconsistent they are with the timeline. So, again, I love the first two seasons for the most part. I really enjoy those episodes. It really does kind of take you into that world, and it's a form of escapism, and the world's fully realized. You know, all the cars and stuff are great. There's some sets and stuff, but, it, I mean, they get all these great 50s cars. They all look great. Um, and they spent a lot more money, it seems like. Uh, and then well, once it the, became a three camera, it just looks so fakey, right? Well, the, the Arnold's, when they rebuilt it after the fire, looked like an 80s, you know, Shakey's Pizza. It does. It has that stained glass right <laughs> yeah. in the wall. It looks nothing. Yeah, it looks like an 80s shake. They just threw, you know, they just kind of threw, they just kind of just didn't give a shit, right? They yeah. were just kind of like, like just going through the motions. Um, I should mention that one of the interesting things about the show is a lot of sitcoms have a lot of different directors, but this was almost all directed by this guy, Jerry Paris, right. Paris, which is kind of neat. Uh, but again, I'm just going to go short. Um, I said barely shorter in my original notes, but I'm pretty short. It's pretty yeah. bad. I think what's happening again, there's the, the, we, I, I should mention that there were some social episodes, the civil rights one, which I think it's kind of ridiculous, but there was one with this uh, uh, African-American character who's a drummer named Sticks. Right. He and everybody's racist and they kind of, you know, kind of deal with racism. So that's kind of cool. But it's just what's happening. I mean, as ridiculous as what's happening is, at least it's somewhat consistent. It's throughout the show and it's like got some really good episodes. And it's, and it, and I think that it's funny. Happy Days, you know, there's some funny things. The cast is really good. But overall, it's just that whole anachronistic thing just drives my OCD nature. I mean, you see how OCD I am with the timeline and all that. It just my OCD brain goes into crisis mode when I'm confronted with <laughs> with like Roger, the character of Roger, Ted McGinley. I mean, he comes on. I'm not sure why they brought him on, but his hair, he looks like a cross between Barry Gibb and Simon LeBon. I mean, he's got this <laughs> feathered hair that's just like beyond 80s. You know, it yeah. just looks ridiculous. So I just can't. I have to short it, you know. Yeah. Uh, so that's my eval. Yeah, uh, that's funny. Uh yeah, what, for me, watching these episodes, you said it was difficult to watch in the terms of it being difficult to find. I found it difficult to watch in terms of being able to stomach it. 
Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, like, totally, man. The, like the early episodes, I think you're absolutely right. And the Love American style uh, one, I actually think that would have been a really fascinating show. And I think your points about the first two seasons, I mostly agree with. Yeah, and, the Love American style, the first two seasons have that in common. They're kind yeah. of like a, it's a real coming of age. And it yeah. really has that look and feel like they really did a good job on that in the early show. I wish they would have done that more. Like that would yeah. have been the show. And I, I found that to be kind of compelling. And I, I definitely think Ron Howard and that cast could have pulled it off. I mean, they're all yeah. pros, you know, quality actors for sure. Um, really for the most part, and now most of my comments are the later seasons, I guess would be the the last nine seasons. It's the equivalent of Wonder Bread. It's just a bunch of crap to dump out right. on the airwaves. Um on one hand, how popular this show was is hard to fathom, really, when you look back at it. And we t- yeah. covered it well. Like, this was a super, super popular show culturally. There's no question about it. And it I was get- most popular at its worst. Yeah. Like, the for- Jump the Shark episode was when Fa- Happy Days was, was like, right up there with Laverne and Shirley. It was at its absolute worst. 100%. And did the thing the airways were filled with equally stupid shows at this time. I mean, the dumbest show probably ever to be on TV, and we'll no doubt get to it, I would argue, is Love Boat. Or it, Fantasy Island is Fantasy up there. Fantasy Island. And, and so, like, yeah. Gary Marshall and Aaron Spelling made this country dumber. The two of them together made our country and citizens dumber. And as a child, I feel like I was <laughs> abused by this. <laughs> Dude, it is true. As dumb as I think people are now, like TV is pretty sophisticated now. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, there was, I mean, those shows were so, so dumb. They were. Like Charlie's Angels too and, and Wonder Woman and all these yeah. shows were just so bad. I, I like Six imagine. Million Dollar Man with yeah. the Sasquatch. I mean, TV in the 70s was, you know, it started out amazing, right? You had yeah. MASH, you had All in the Family, and it was so cutting yeah. edge. And then it, by the late 70s, it was just like, Bimbo Television, Three's Company, and all these shows, they're so beyond dumb. They, they were crazy dumb. And and that was when you and I have, were at the age where our brains were most vulnerable. And I can't think to help that that you know, explains part of, of who I am today in, in the worst possible ways, perhaps. To its credit, Three's Company never had fucking aliens. Neither did what's happening. But you they know, had there Jack's was no- balls. Yeah, that's true. But that, yeah, they did have Jack's balls. That's, you know, that's more edgy, right? Yeah. That's more uh, cutting edge. <laughs> but but it's like, yeah, they did not have these ridiculous, this ridiculous magical realism and all this shit that was in Happy Days, this uh, fantasy shit yeah, I know. at all. So to their credit, but it still was managed to be st- pretty dumb. So, yeah, I, I agree. It made us dumber, maybe. Yeah, You're right. I, the whole country, everyone yeah, was watching uh, these things. So I, I maybe blame, that's why we got Ronald Reagan. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> could be. Yeah, yeah. All the subs and all the subsequent ones that are much worse. I would argue even. Um, anyway, so it was difficult to actually separate how bad this show was from their long term valuation because obviously we're trying to guess what other people are going to view this up, and I'll get to that in a minute. I do want to call out. You were talking about the cast, and I mostly agree with you about um, the, the cast. There's a few exceptions I'll, I'll get to, but Tom Bosley, I want to point out was, you know, he was a comic actor. He was a character actor. He was ubiquitous around this time. And he right. was in another movie that was one of my favorite movies as a kid. It was called Gus. I don't know oh, if you yeah. remember Gus. Oh no, I remember Gus. Yeah. The, the donkey that was the football Kick. field goal kill, kicker. Right. So he yeah. played with um, Tim Conaway, the guys who were kidnapped Gus the mule and kept him away from the football game and, and all that stuff. And he's funny in that. 
And he he was just a you know he's just a pro. You you know you can just right. tell he was a he was a pro. Yeah, he's great as as the dad. He nails it. No question. No yeah. question. At least on the early shows. Yeah. yeah. I do want to talk about Fonzie again. Yeah. <laughs> and the character of Fonzie. And one of the reasons um, that I'll get into why I think the show is going to be people will look back on it when he gets past the nostalgia. There's some really problematic things in this show. I I think that people are going to look at. And a lot of them um, have to do with Fonzie. First, I want to talk about how, um, you know, his treatment of women as basically chattel. And people really avoid even mentioning this, but he would snap his fingers and women would come to him like, you know, trained animals. Yeah, yeah. Which is really weird. And it's ubiquitous. It's almost on every episode. And I, I didn't ever think of it as a kid, but watching it now, I'm like, I, my wife would come in when I'd be watching these clips and shaking her head and just go, how fucking insulting is that? Yeah, it's true. You that's know, true. That, we, we talk about standing the test of time. That's pretty cringe, right? It is. And I was actually thinking, you know, uh, obviously we had crappy days as our reenactment theater, which was definitely the right choice. But there was an alternative choice, which is the Fonzarelli woman training course, oh, you yeah. know, where he would, you know, train women to to heal, come and stay. And it, I mean, you could just assemble if this was a video show, we maybe would have done that because there's this endless episodes where he's snapping his fingers and women are coming and running to him like it, it's just bizarre. Um, so, you know, it's funny. There is another episode I forgot to mention where it's when Joni and Chachi are dating and they kind of break up for a little bit. Um and Chachi is like trying to date other women and he's having trouble. So Fonzie actually teaches him the superpowers. Yeah. So he actually, since Chachi is related to him. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's so stupid. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Um, anyway, you mentioned the Gorch as a character on on the the, uh, the, the show, best show. The best show, yeah. Right. That was created by John Worcester and Tom Sharpling. Um, yeah. And it's an absolute, I mean, the, they're they have some brilliant comedy characters they did on that radio show. Right. And that's one of the best. It is. I just want to mention a few uh, things about it and, and like the fighting aspects about it. So the Gorch on, on the best show, you know, he always talks about swinging the chain. There's a lot of a commentary about um, how to, uh, you know, create your chain for uh, the best, you know, inflicting <laughs> damage. Swing chain. Swinging the chain or maybe a pipe and evaluating whether you should use a pipe or, a chain and that kind of stuff. And, you know, they make fun of the Fonzie type character talking about, um, you know, knocking up skirts and, you right. know, you know t- just that kind of stuff. And I, I do want to point out that in the early episodes, you know, Fonzie, um, later on, he you never saw him in any kind of um, scuffle or anything like that, as always implied. In the very early episodes, you know, Fonzie would actually try to be a tough guy. And there's a there's one episode, there's a fighting scene I think the only one, a lot of them were all off camera, you know, where they'd come back in and Fonzie right, victorious. Right. But there was one where Fonzie and the big ragu are uh, fighting a gang. And uh, the funniest thing in the world is when they start this fight, you know, they both hop to their, uh, you know, arms and do like kind of like a, you know, jump. Uh, oh, West yeah. Side story fighting style where they like uh, kick up. You know, like and you know, and like mule kick the the rival gang. It was it was the most West Side Story fighting cringe thing I've ever seen. It's embarrassing, frankly, and they should have just left it implied off camera because it was just like Fonzie was not an intimidating character. I mean, maybe if he could get rid of his own VD by punching himself in the sack, that's pretty impressive. But 
you know, as a uh, as a figure that he'd just stand there with his hands in his pocket, and you know, I don't know, it, it was kind of weird. So, dude, there is actually a uh, one thing that I could have gotten as a clip for this. The comedian Bill Burr has a whole routine about. He has this thing he was talking about. There's this episode in the later seasons where Joni actually is an adult now, and she's a teacher, and she's teaching at this uh, school, this vocational school where they work now and it's like a, a troubled kids. Right. And there's a scene where this guy tries to rape her. You know, he's like uh, in a, in a classroom and Fonz comes in and Bill Burr is totally talking about that. He's like, it's like musical dance theater, his yeah. fight moves. It's so, so lame. You know, he's like pointing his fingers, doing all this stuff. And he totally does that, says that same thing that you said about it being kind of like West Side Story. Yeah. It's pretty funny. That would have been a good clip to get, but you know, we have so many clips that I just didn't do it anyway. Yeah. That that all is sort of weird. Obviously, uh, there's a dice clay connection, which we uh, alluded to in uh, Fonzie's little nursery rhyme about Chuck Cunningham in, in our reenactment theater. That was a kind of a double shout out to Dice and and, and Fonzie, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, we already talked about the uh, he couldn't wear the leather jacket at, at first, but but I want to just kind of talk about a few other things about this Fonzie character that was so popular and such this kind of center of culture and and an iconic figure. Um, he won't apologize to anybody for anything, even when he's, you know, wrong. He won't say he's wrong. He won't back down from any challenge, including fights, jumping sharks, jumping over barrels. And his, his stubbornness about it is supposed to be this kind of winsome quality instead of just being a complete idiot and celebrating like some of the worst aspects of, you know, the kind of uh, that era and maybe young men's testosterone uh, filled right. uh, things and all that. Well, we already talked about in our reenactment theater. He loves the men's room and draw your own conclusions about that. Besides <laughs> the smells and, you know, yeah. all that. you already talked about his magical powers. He's probably fathered dozens of illegitimate children. <laughs> yeah. And, and I wonder how many, you know, at that time, if it was the 50s back alley abortions he's uh, responsible for. Uh, never addressed on this show for somewhat obvious reasons, but something that... Uh, you know, came to mind when you, you see him like with dozens of different women every episode, probably even being a, a deadbeat dad. Maybe this is taking the Fonzie character to a darker place. But, you know, in the, in the uh, spirit of the reenactment theater, that was probably another uh, area we could go. I, I want to play some a couple other kind of things uh, about the Fonz. So here's a clip of, of the Fonz talking about uh, his, his maybe uh, dating uh, savoir-faire. You know, I figured that sometimes girls do not mean no when they say no, they mean yes. I have found, however, that girls, when they say, I am about to call the police, they mean I am about to call the police. Yeah. So, wow. Uh, <laughs> wow. There you go on that. Um, and, of course, that's supposed to be funny, you know, for whatever reason. And then there's this, you know, maybe this is in the category of superpowers. See that lipstick stain right there? Yeah. That's Lucy Bergdorf. I was seven, she was 16, and did she learn fast? Seven. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's really creepy. Wow. Seven. Seven yeah. and 16. I, you, yeah. you know, uh, okay. You know, and of course, that got the laugh track going pretty strong there. So anyway, you get the idea. You know, I know a lot of it's supposed to be in good fun and humor, but but some of the backdrop of this stuff, I think when people look at years in the future is going to be like, and this was a guy who was, you know, celebrated a, a cultural character phenomenon, jackets in the Smithsonian. It's just a little weird, you know, maybe even, you know, 30 years later, 40 years later, um, you know, at this point. 
um, it is, uh, it, it just seems a little questionable. Overall, I originally was very short. I was like very strongly short. I'm still pretty strongly short. The reason I'm not full on, you know, volume goes to 11 short here is mostly because of those first two seasons as you uh, were talking about and the possibility of what it could have been. Um, overall though, I think, you know, there's definitely nostalgia aspects to the show for us, for, you know, clearly obvious reasons we're doing this show for others as well, the popularity of the show and some charm really owing to the talent of the cast, which is pretty undeniable. I would question, you know, I, I think uh, Scott Bayo has his, you know, moments and certainly um, on things like Zapped, <laughs> kidding, and definitely Arrested Development. You know, he, he's a talented guy in the right sort of role. Maybe Joni a little less so. They were fine as these characters. She, she's good in the earlier seasons. I think her delivery is pretty good. But his thing is they tried to, you know, they had A and sit on it. A lot of catchphrases, right? We didn't really talk about the catchphrases. We also have, I found my thrill, you know, with yeah. Richie singing uh, part of Blueberry Hill. It's like repeated. They tried to get these catchphrases for Chachi. Yeah. And they're so bad, like wah, wah, wah. Remember yeah. wah, 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 wah? I, yeah. Like, hey, hey, it's just yeah. so bad. They tried to, you know, and he did get popular as a kind of teen idol, but I think it was just because of his looks, really. Yeah. It's like he's not that good, you yeah. know, really. I mean, you know, obviously he had some appeal. And like you said, with Zapped, we kind of have nostalgia for that. Although if you're playing those clips of Fonzie, uh, I don't know how well Zapped lasts in this era of <laughs> Me Too as well. Yeah. Uh, not so good, maybe. But yeah. And then, of course, when they started singing and getting more romantic and serious, I mean, that was another uh, level of jumping the shark. It was just so unwatchable. And I just think Joni, they don't really know what to do with her as she got older. Yeah. Um, you know, as, as the kind of snappy kid, she's really good, you know, wearing her little, uh, you know, brownies outfit or whatever, Girl Scouts thing. She's she's good, you know, and and I think they kind of knew what to do in that context. This is just a case of a show just lasting too many years. Yeah, perhaps you know, maybe if true. it would have been only five seasons or something, we wouldn't have been so negative on it. But I think just the light later seasons are just so terrible, and it just they just threw out the the you know the time frame and the whole premise of the show out the window just to have this cast do whatever they wanted them to do you know just cuz they were completely out of ideas and maybe there was some cocaine involved although Gary Marshall did say the show was really a joy to work on everybody was happy he said Laverne and Shirley was a freaking nightmare like especially his sister and Cindy Williams were really difficult to work with and would hate all the writing and stuff although maybe they had a point you yeah. know, maybe they were right about the writing yeah, <laughs> at this point, you know, because yeah. the writing just got worse and more ridiculous as the show went on. Yeah. I mean, for the most part, some of the best aspects of the show, I don't think were that terribly great. And the worst aspects were horrible. And so I just have to go, you know, pretty short yeah. on this. Add in the sexism, the misogyny, the, you know, all those other things we were sort of talking about. I, I think people will look back and just say, so why, like, I just can't imagine people showing the fawns and him snapping his fingers and, and women come running, throwing themselves at him, you know, it is going to be something that people are going to say, hey, look, look at this. Isn't this great? It's, it's, just, it's yeah. just weird. It just seems, absolutely. Absolutely. It seems weird. Anyway, um, 
Look, I think honestly, the best part about rewatching these episodes and all that was um, goofing on how bad it is and yeah. was, and of course, the uh, reenactment theater, which was right, right, right. We'll really... keep doing that, I think, with certain <laughs> certain episodes where it's appropriate. Um, See how yes. that gets received. So, anyway, uh, this has been a fun episode, episode fourteen, looking at uh, crappy days or happy days. We'll call it crappy days. All right, I'm Jeff. That's Slip. Yeah, this later. is a long one, long episode. Long yeah, I think I think maybe it went on as uh, kind of too long, kind of like the show we were talking about. Exactly, you know? but we'll we need, see. We we need to uh, you know time shift into you know another era. <laughs> that's right. That's right. All right. Later. Cool.